I'm proud to say that Surfshark is a sponsor of this piece of content. Surfshark is a feature-packed VPN that automatically connects to the fastest server by default and is incredibly easy to use and use on any platform. It works on PC, Mac, Linux, Android, iOS, smart TVs, Amazon Fire TV Sticks, Apple TV, Chrome, Firefox, and it can even be configured to allow Xbox and PlayStation to access stores in other regions. And you know what? VPNs can come in handy too. When I was studying abroad in Carlisle, England back in 2014, I noticed I could access the show Homeland on their local Netflix version. And I wish I would have known that sooner before signing up for Showtime back in the U.S., not only that, but Surfshark offers peace of mind, too, with 24-7 customer support and 30-day money-back guarantee. Sign up today. It's easy to install on as many devices as you want with one account. And if you use the following link and promo code Moore's Law, you can get 83% off and an extra three months for free. Use Surfshark today. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined by the venerable co-host, Dan. What's up? I don't know. I guess let's just say it. I, the election's over and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> this isn't a political podcast, but I think it's worth just touching on it for five seconds in the beginning or something. I, I'm a little relieved just to not have to think about it anymore, at least for, I don't know, maybe a week. That would be fun. You mean F5 week, where everyone pressed F5 nonstop for multiple days in a row? I definitely... For an entire week? (laughs) Yeah, that's what, like, every conversation I was having revolved around for an entire week, pretty much. So, it's nice to not have to think about it, right, for a few days. Yeah, I mean, here in Peoria, the sense of calm... I mean, it was also, like, 75 degrees and sunny, but... So everyone was outside for that reason alone. But just this sense of calm and ease of like, all right, back to just hopefully being able to focus on our own lives for a while was just, I mean, just relief. Everyone was just walking around like completely relaxed. It was was hilarious. Uh, I mean, yeah, similarly here, I would say I'm glad it's over. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are all (laughs) over the world. Anyways, let us get into it. This is... The number one podcast in Cutter, I noticed. Although yeah. it was a couple of weeks ago, we were technically number one. I think we were then top 20 or whatever. I just thought I'd point that out because we missed it and we should give them credit for getting us to number, being the number one technology podcast in their country. Remember, tell your friends about Broken Silicon, spread the good word of Moore's Law is Dead. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll mention you at the beginning of an episode. I mean, Cutter, you're pulling your weight. Thank you, Cutter. You're pulling your way, Cutter. Just like Trinidad and Tobago and Paraguay, I've noticed. South Africa, really pulling it up well. Hell yeah. Some other countries, I mean, I, I don't know. You don't get a mention. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I don't know what much else. I, I'd say, I guess there's some opening business just to say, like uh, the last um, die shrink, which we do every two weeks for patrons only based on things they vote for or, you know, Basically, just other subjects we really want to hone in on that didn't make it into a broken silicon. 
Uh, it was titled Fanboy Winter. And that brought us a ton of new patrons. It was, ba- and it, we didn't intend it to be over an hour, but it, it turned into basically just a full broken silicon episode. Just so, just a reminder to listeners that you know, if you support us on Patreon, that's what's really sustaining the platform in the first place. But also, you get over thirty die shrinks, like a new one every two weeks, which is always for the patrons only. You get you know broken silicon early and ad free, and then. Uh, I don't, there's a bunch of other stuff in there too, like hits and gems and Flyver States episodes, like a backlog of those. I think you're getting a pretty good bang for your buck compared to certain other Patreon podcasts. Yeah, um, but if you know if you're in the Hitchhiker feeds, just, you know we appreciate all of you, the tens of thousands of you listening to this. I suppose, I suppose we should stop dilly dallying and get into the important questions. Uh, Stick but Syndicate writes in and says, "Hey Tom and Dan." Darker or lighter beers, and why? I think there's good things about both of them. I don't know. I think those taste really good, but okay. I mean, yeah, I I, I just like both. You know, yeah, yeah, they're both good. Uh, Jory writes in and says, "Hey Tom, hope this finds you well. I was wondering if you ever played any of the classic CRPGs like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Planetscape, Torment, and so on, or any of the modern ones such as Pillars of Eternity." Shadowrun, Pathfinder, or Divinity Original Sim. I'm going to be honest, Shory, and I hate to say this, you pretty much put together a list of games I've never played. Yeah. But I know the names of. Yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't say I'm super into RPGs in general. Every couple of years, one comes along that I like a lot, but I wouldn't say that's my main genre, especially, yeah. I, uh, but no, I haven't played oh, I any see. of these. Computer role-playing game. That's why I was like CRPGs. Because I don't really distinguish between if a game's on a console or a PC. It's a it's a role-playing game, you know? Yeah, I mean, and every game kind of has role-playing. is kind of a role-playing game now in a weird way. But I mean, that could be an entire die shrink. A discussion about how a lot of these genre names where you're used to pretty much don't mean anything anymore. Yeah, I... I mean, yeah. I mean, what games don't have... A lot of games have some form of loot. A lot of games have some form of leveling up, customization. It almost seems arbitrary. I guess you could almost just say, is the focus the leveling up? Then it's an RPG. Um, I mean, yeah. Not, some games are definitely more RPG-y than other games. Like like Demon Souls and Dark Souls, I would say those are like definitely yes, straight RPGs. very much so. But like a game like Borderlands has some RPG elements, but I don't think I would call that an RPG. Um, you know, I have a definition for I would say it's an it's not an RPG if you can get every upgrade. In Far Cry, you can max out the skill tree. So how is it a role-playing game? You're really just getting all of the upgrades in a specific order, but you're not customizing anything by the time your character is fully leveled up. Whereas with like Demon Souls, I guess technically there's a max level, but almost no one hits it, you know, and for the most part, it really, and you're at a huge disadvantage if your character is just random upgrades as the way on the way up. I mean, that's true. You need to be tactical in what you upgrade in like Demon Souls, even if you can max it up. So if the upgrades aren't tactical, you know, like again, like I'm thinking of games like Infamous or like, you know, like a lot of superhero games too. It's like, well, really, really, you're just upgrading them in a different order. By the end, you'll have all the upgrades. I would yeah, say that's, that's true. not an RPG then. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I would agree with that. 
But I think we have to move on because, again, this could be an entire podcast <laughs> discussing what the genres even really are anymore. Deke writes in and says, hey, Tom, just for fun, have you ever thought of a PC alternative history where AMD, rather than going on to RDNA, would triple down on GCN? What could you say a full Vega 20 lineup looking like? Oh, so you're... Okay, so I guess there's two things to discuss. Are you saying instead of releasing RDNA 1, which is kind of a bridge to the real full RDNA, which is what RDNA 2 really is, is the first full RDNA architecture. Are you saying instead of doing RDNA 1, they just do like an entire Vega lineup, I would assume with GDR6? You know, I would say that would have just been the same thing, slightly better at compute and a little worse at gaming. Or not even worse at gaming, worse at efficiency. I mean, isn't, uh, and I don't know this, as well, but isn't CDNA kind of more of a, it's more GCN-esque than RDNA is, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of what it would look like then. It doesn't even have display outputs though. That's true. (laughs) So no, it's not what he's describing. Um, I haven't really thought about this though, because it's just something that really would never have happened. I think that the, the biggest thing you can say, honestly, when it comes to alternative histories with Vega, what I come up with is what if they released a 12 nanometer refresh with the 590, mm-hmm. right? You know, the 500 series drag on for a while, I would say. And there's no reason, in my opinion, they couldn't have made, you know, a 12 nanometer Vega with faster GDR6 that kind of gets up to around 2070 levels. And then, you know, I don't know. That's something I would be curious about. But of course, at that point, though, they're really just selling the yields that they're not putting into the professional market to gamers. That's all Vega 14 nanometer was. So that really wouldn't have happened either. The 500 series was like, that came out three years ago, didn't it? 2017. Yeah, and that uh, that was still kind of relevant to what they were selling up until now. (laughs) I mean, it's still in many ways relevant. At the end of the day, if you ask me what's the best price performance graphics card you can buy, some people probably get mad at me. I'm like, well, $70, $570, guys. (laughs) $70. That is technically the best price performance by a mile. I mean, yeah, it's just not in a cool new card. It's, yeah, the the 570 is three years old. The game's okay still, and it's $70. So, yeah. All right, let us move on to the corrections. Pyroxide writes in and says, for the love of trying to make it simple, might I suggest referring to Intel Z as XE? like sex E without the S or possibly X to the E. Exactly. Um, I, I would say you can suggest it, but I will not be doing that because I like saying Z. I don't know why. It takes what? longer to say X E. I don't like... What? <laughs> Tom, why do we need to have so many discussions about how to say Z? Anything? How it's spelled Z. And really how to say everything, really. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's one of those things where eventually, if if we start covering it a ton and I just keep seeing video after video, you know, hardware unboxed reviews where like the new XC graphics card, like if I see that every other day, then I might start saying XC. But for now, I'm going to say Z because I would say the correct pronunciation is about as real as those graphics cards. (laughs) Chaos writes in and says, hi, Tom, big fan, think. 400 by 400 millimeter fan. That's how big a fan I am. It's a big fan, Dan. Mm, He goes, I'm writing in for the first time because I can't stand this any longer. For months, I've tolerated you repeating the same mantra at the closing of every episode of Broken Silicon. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. 
Well, at first it seemed innocuous enough. Once I noticed the issue became so glaring that I began to dread the end of every broken <laughs> silicon before even the excitement at a new release had begun to fade. The issue I have is this. The podcast does not follow the end credits. Saying the following podcast implies that the podcast will follow the credits, which of course it does not. The credits follow the podcast. This is, in my opinion, a glaring and detestable oversight, which I hope to see rectified immediately. Thank you in advance for your swift and decisive action. Hmm. I think he's right. But no, he's right. But he's definitely right. When I saw this reader mail come in, I, I was like, oh, yeah. He, but what, what should you do? Should you correct it or should it just be left in now because it's funny? Now it's canon. Now that the issue has been uh, pointed out. Yeah. Um, I, I would say it's something that will probably be fixed eventually, but not before you start pulling your hair out based on how I read this reader mail here. No, it's something that, you know, it's been tweaked a few times and I'll, I'll probably tweak it again. It's probably due for an update sometime, you know, early next year. But uh, until then, just, I don't know, earmuffs, put hands over your ears when it just starts. Just violently rip your headphones out once the podcast finishes so you don't have to hear it. Well, Dan, that's all of the intro important questions and corrections and omissions. Uh, I guess let's get into the news. And the first story is kind of funny because I feel like we've already covered this, but technically we really haven't on Broken Silicon. So story number one, Zen 3 reviews continue to trickle in. 5600X overall beats the 3700X. And the 5950X is a god CPU, though expensive. You know, I thought this was worth covering Zen 3 reviews one more time just because, I mean, again, you know, although I, I discussed it on the last, a little bit on the last Broken Silicon with the server engineer, you know, although uh, I feel like we really discussed it as much as we needed to with the reveal yeah. episode of Broken Silicon. That's really what we focused on for half of that episode. I think, you know, now we have a bit the full picture. so. I mean, what 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 do you have to say that you haven't said yet about Zen 3? Or what's your overall opinion now that we don't just have, you know, the early they, numbers? We have full numbers for all of them. I mean, I would say it looked like in their reveal they were pretty honest about what it is. And what, the 5600X is <laughs> better than uh, Intel's best offering at this point? So, or... Yeah, no, 5800X. I would say it's around it. It depends on the review. Some reviews found it overall faster than the 10900K, but I would just say the 5600X is around the same. And I would say all of them are around the same. And I guess this is where I just have to do this like diatribe I've had a million times. Guys, if Intel does not increase IPC for too long, they've only ever been winning in gaming by like 10 to 20%. And then that shrunk to basically 10% on average with Zen 2 versus Intel at most, really. I mean, if you tweaked memory, it was like 5 to 7%. It extended a little bit with Comet Lake. But um, like once AMD does another full gen over gen increase, which they just did, that doesn't mean AMD's top CPU beats Intel's top CPU at gaming. Almost all of these CPUs with six cores or more game the same. That means AMD's $300 CPU is now at the same level as Intel's five to $600 gaming CPU. And so... There, it's just you know I, I've literally I've seen some titles of fifty six hundred X reviews literally say Intel's pointless now as their title, like and, yeah. and I'm sorry that's that's the conclusion. Intel serves no purpose to be bought, like that's what it comes. Any arguments for the ten seven hundred K doesn't make sense to me. 
Like, you know, they're like, well, the 10700K is a little cheaper than the 5800X and slightly weaker. Okay, well, if you're trying to save money, get the 5600X. It's the same performance. I mean, yeah, it's top to bottom. AMD's old CPUs, they're the best budget option now. They're and, not going down in price as fast as you would hope, though. I yeah, will that's say that. true. I think we'll part see. of that's due to COVID, though. I mean, we'll see what happens uh, once more once people like actually start buying the 5000 series, I guess. But yeah, that's true. But all of their new offerings are pretty much, you could argue, are better than Intel's best CPU. So I don't... I, and the 5600X, it's probably not as good at multi-threaded tasks. But I mean, they're cheap... AMD's cheaper uh, 5800X is still going to beat that multi-threaded. So I don't know what purpose Intel serves anymore. Yep. You know, the 5800X trades blows and multi-threading with the 10900K comes on a better platform, uses less energy and costs less. I I really don't see the argument for any Intel CPUs. And um, I guess all I would say is that, yeah, the best price performance, I guess high-end gaming CPU is the 5600X, but I have to just point out, if you can find a 2700X for like under $160, that's still what I recommend to everyone because if you can, yeah, if you can get Zen Plus, again, especially the 2700X because it really does clock to 4.4 gigahertz, which makes up for some of its IPC deficit. If you can get that for half the price of a 5600X, it, it comes with a cooler, it's great. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, if you're trying to save money, too. Obviously, if that's not an issue, just get the newer thing. But yeah. But the, the only other thing I would say is that, um, yeah, I don't think I recommend the 3700X, the 3800X for more than like $200. Because as Hardware Unbox Review very, very well points out, even in multi-threading, it's kind of trading blows with the 3700X, the 5600Xs. And that means long-term, there's, yeah. even though it has less cores, it hasn't, you know, okay, so one is 33% more cores, but the other one is like 20% better IPC. It's better in gaming, and it's going to be better in a lot of apps. And at best, the 3700X is going to be 10% better, which it was in a few apps. But so, you know, it's kind of like before where you were comparing the 3600X to the 2700X. It's like same price, 3600X. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I guess we'll see if those prices start dropping soon, but I don't know. I would expect some of them to, but to be entirely honest, I really don't expect them to drop that much with the demand this holiday season and how much more shipping costs. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's definitely true that there's a big part of that with the COVID going on. Uh, I mean, I was hoping to see a price drop like what happened with Zen Plus, but maybe that's just not in the cards, at least for a few months. No, I don't think so. So let me see. Let's move on to some of these reader mails. Nils writes in and says, with AMD's long-term knowledge of what the consoles were planning to use with SSDs, do you think of the possibility that they baked in something that will actually allow direct GPU to NVMe communication without moving through any of the CPU cores? I'm not sure if they saw that far ahead, but I do think it would be hilarious if the ages-old AMD GPUs faster on AMD CPUs conspiracies finally came true. The reason I dug up this reader mail, it was in the mailbag, Dan, is I think this is from like over a month ago. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of yeah, true, right? With, with, yeah, with <laughs> RDNA 2, that is true. Now, that AMD is leveraging you know, what you're describing, Nils, to make an all-AMD system arguably the best gaming system if not very close to if you were to get an NVIDIA GPU for much more money. 
I mean, yeah, and I guess you could argue that that's unfair, whatever that means. But I don't know. AMD is also the best, has the best CPU. So if you're building a new system, why wouldn't you get it? Yeah. Again, I just thought that was funny to bring up because that was a question he asked over a month ago. (laughs) And now (laughs) it's true. Uh, 0x000FF4 writes in and says, Hi, I am writing this question here because I didn't get a definitive answer anywhere else. I was wondering a lot what type of CPU to choose, 5950X or to wait for the 5970 Milan Threadripper. I will use my PC uh, for data analysis, some virtualization. I want to use Windows 10 for gaming with Linux hypervisor. Scrappers, data mining, AI boss from time to time. I am planning to not use everything simultaneously, but still, it would be nice to run some tasks simultaneously. So I'm wondering for how long my PC will last with the 5950X or 5970, given the fact that we will have DDR5 probably next year or two. You will have it next year. Um, I've seen many cases where Threadripper is used for rendering visual effects, but I'm 100% sure they will not use my PC for this. On one side, I'm very annoyed from the just wait trademark and all rights reserved theme. And I don't want to overshoot on the other side. I don't want to buy something that will be too weak to work with. I mean, honestly, I would say, look, man, I don't know the specific apps you're using. You need to look at those benchmarks yourself and you need to see how well they schedule with cores. Now, considering this involves data mining and, you know, I, I know some of this stuff that you're describing actually is latency intensive. So I would definitely want Zen 3. So you will have to wait if you want Threadripper. I mean, that's really the only answer I can give you, except that if you're not sure if you need the extra cores, I think it's obvious you should not get Threadripper. And I don't know this these specific tasks as well, but I mean, I know physics simulations take a lot to do. So if you if you think you need more cores, get it. I I doubt you're poor if you're doing these types of things on your PC anyways. Right, but it's like, I mean, again, like when I built my system with a 3950X, I was considering Threadripper and then I saw $1,400 for the entry CPU and I said, nope. (laughs) I mean, it was that simple. If it's even a discussion for you, price performance, I don't know why you're considering Threadripper because one of them costs is going to cost half as much. That 24 yeah, is going to be true. at least 1500 dude. It's not coming out for many months. And it offers pretty much no benefit in a lot of apps. The other one, you have 16 cores, 32 threads, right? Yeah. So I, I think, again, I think when it comes to Threadripper, the only reason this was a debate before is because AMD was, you know, pricing Threadripper to take the HEDT market and frankly, Intel did have stronger products with Zen 1 and Zen Plus. They had, yeah. they did have stronger products, even if they weren't as efficient. But once you get to Zen 2 and later, it's like, either you need 24 cores in a bunch of SSDs or you don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to put it. And yeah, the top end Zen is, the 5950X is pretty much an HEDT CPU, even if they're selling it on a consumer platform. All right, story number two. Zen 3 analysis and Intel Redwood Cove leak. Can anything stop AMD from 2023? And this is a write-up I did for my you know, big Intel roadmap leak video from last week. On November 5th, Intel was officially kicked out of the do-it-yourself PC gaming market by Zen 3. So that's not really up for debate anymore who's <laughs> on top right now. The real question is, how long will this destruction last? 
Moore's Law is Dead focused his Zen 3 analysis through the lens of how long until Intel can catch up. And since that should be the biggest question people have on their minds after the Zen 3 massacre of 2020, in short, based on the analysis put out last week, Intel will have some cool products from time to time in the next few years. But 2023 is the first year I would place money on Intel truly having a chance of catching up. Notables from the video include Rocket Lake launch and performance details, Alder Lake potentially being marketed as eight cores with 24 threads with hybrid threading. So that means eight cores, 16 threads in the big cores, plus eight little cores. And they're just going to market the little cores as extra Mm. threads to not be misleading. Uh, Sapphire Rapids updates, which does seem like it can compete at least with Milan uh, Threadripper. And then first whispers of Meteor Lake and Redwood Cove confirming Ocean Cove is an incorrect name on a lot of leakers' roadmaps. That's something I was kind of dying to get out there for a while. You know, I was, I was holding putting out this Intel roadmap information until the end of the year, but I just, I'm, I'm starting to get tired, honestly. Like, And I was like, you know what? I don't have that much to say about Zen 3, and I can't just make a video saying AMD 1. That's not that interesting to me. I think it's time to get what I know about Intel out before the end of the year. After all, this is, it is November, and you can already see views going down on a lot of channels. No, people don't care anymore. People are ready for the holidays. <laughs> so it's time to get this out. But yeah, did you watch that video, Dan? Yes, I did. I don't know what Intel's go- great prospects are for the next couple years. I mean, I, I agree with you. Alder Lake has a chance at maybe taking the performance crown and gaming again, I guess. But then... Zen 4 is probably going to be coming out at around the same time. So I, I, I don't know. I don't I think the next uh, three years for Intel are likely dire. Maybe there's some saving grace in Alder Lake. And I don't think Rocket Lake is going to be very impressive. Well, the, I actually saw today a dig from an a, uh, interview with someone from AMD already at Alder Lake. Like talk, like he asked, is AMD planning to do big little cores with Zen 4? And he said, well, I'm not going to confirm whether or not or when we would do big little cores. But he said, I think it would be best to focus on having enough good cores before you start putting on extra cores. (laughs) (laughs) So AMD's got a big swinging dick right now. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I mean, listen, they definitively are took the crown in the CPU space and we'll see what happens with GPUs. But I think they're competitive with GPUs at a minimum. I mean, yeah, I, so just to summarize, like, I mean, what I mean when I say Intel can't probably compete that well, and at least not directly in performance and efficiency in, in all markets until 2023. I mean, right now, AMD was barely behind in gaming performance, really only due to clock speeds with Zen 2 versus Intel's lineup. You know, right now, the current situation is Intel's fixed their 10 10 nanometer. They've got a quad core Tiger Lake out, which is good. Does, you know, does have higher IPC by a little bit probably than Zen 3. But it's still overall is really only directly comparable, I would say, to cut down Renoir. Mm -hmm. And now Zen 3's out. Zen 3 definitively wins. Rocket Lake's coming. But again, Rocket Lake's just... I think 11% IPC increase over Skylake, guys. It's not even as good as Tiger Lake's IPC. Uh, that's not enough. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, Intel's going to probably narrowly on average take the gaming performance crown in some games, but it depends on how many threads they use. It's like they'll catch up in some ways while using more energy, and that's March. So I know some people are like, well, but at least they'll catch up 
with Rocket Lake in March in four months. So this is four months of AMD, just people used to AMD having the best gaming performance. And the reviews coming out are going to be, they caught up with eight cores and less while using more energy after four months of AMD dominating them. And by then, who knows if AMD will have lowered prices. I mean, yeah, and that will obviously be an option for AMD if they feel the need to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Rocket Lake is going, it's not going to be this massive thing. It's a, it, it looks like it's a stopgap generation before they get to Alder Lake. And Alder Lake, we don't know how it's going to turn out. It's a more experimental architecture. Maybe it'll be good. But once again... I mean, it looks like it's monolithic. That's the one thing uh, I will say. But again, it's, yeah. I mean, from what, I, from what I'm told, as of now, they have planned an 8 plus 8, an 8 plus 4, so the, you know, the second number's little cores, and then a 6 plus 4 model. And then probably something else smaller, because I believe they're going to have some Golden Cove Alder Lake replacement for Lakefield. So I don't know what that would be. If I had to guess, it's probably 2 plus 4 or 4 plus, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, something like that. I would guess 2 plus 4 to replace uh, Lakefield. But, you know, that's... So, so their top model is... They might market it as eight cores, 24 threads. Well, that's competing with 16 cores, 32 threads of Zen 3. Yeah. It's IPC, stand, it stands to reason it's IPC maybe 20% better than AMD. If they can pull that off, yeah, I mean, they'll definitively have the gaming crown and 24 threads is perfectly enough for gaming. It might be excellent at it. But still, that's like, a year after Zen 3 came out, again, we're just really going back to the Comet Lake versus Zen 2 situation. Yeah, and we don't know what Zen 4 will look like yet either. So, I, I, As far as I'm aware, it will at least do some more advanced 2.5D, if not 3D stacking, and go up to at least 24 cores. You know, So yeah. with, with, again, Zen 3 level IPC increases again. I expect that at the very... Like, you know, so what? Zen 3 launched like November... This the beginning of November. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a paper launch at Christmas next year, probably based on how they currently do things. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that actually came to server first instead of the other way around. We'll see. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so they're not really catching up then. And then Zen 4 just sits there and raffle stomps Alder Lake, I'm guessing. Again, we're not sure. And then that's that's it. You know, Sapphire Rapids early 2022. I don't see that being better than Zen 4 uh, HEDT products. And that's, you know, so it's really Redwood Cove in 2023, which looks to be seven nanometer EUV, 3D, possibly 3D stacked, although could still be monolithic based on a couple sources. (laughs) Um, But maybe moving past Ring Bus, you know, on a a node that's almost caught up to AMD. So it's really 2023 where Intel even has a chance. It's really just next year is going to be, this is going to be a dark 12 months for Intel. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there's really any way ar- around that. I think people kind of just need to accept that that's true. And again, you know, there will be little bright spots here and there. You know, Tiger Lake eight cores on laptop should be great. Should be just as good as Saison at gaming, if not better. But that's it. It's not coming to desktop. It won't have as good. Inter- the integrated graphics are actually cut down from the quad core version. So and mm-hmm. I think Van Gogh should be just as good as, I mean, again, so it's like at best, they're going to kind of catch up at certain tasks and laptop before AMD has their Rembrandt come out at best. They're going to beat them in gaming a year from now, but then Zen four comes out. There will be little bright spots here and there. I'm just basically hoping it's enough to stop AMD from going mad with power. Cause I could imagine what they might charge for Zen four. Now that the shoe is on the other foot, 
AMD is a big, massive company. If they get, if they are the leader for long enough, they're going to start doing that shit too. I'm sure. Kanza eighty nine writes in and says, "Really looking forward to Zen Four. Do you think it'll be on AM five? Are there any details you can tell us at the moment? Appreciate the content and keep up the great work." Yeah, I mean, so I guess we just discussed it uh, again. So I, I think. Um, I have a video. Let me just Google it now to make sure I get the name right. AMD Zen 3 and Zen 4 lineup. Intel Rake isn't enough for this. And I think that the thumbnail is years of domination. Like, there's people that keep asking me what I know about Zen 4. Guys, I put out a Zen 4 leak in April. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so just uh, there will be a link in the description for that. Um, And I summarize all of it. Again, Zen 2 or Zen 3 IPC increase higher core counts, more advanced packaging, DDR5, AVX512, PCIe 5.0, everything. So that's what's coming out at the tail end of next year. And I mean, I guess, will it be on AM5? I think I think almost from yes. a marketing standpoint, it, it has to be a new socket There's type. There's no way they put yeah. it on uh, AM4. They've been supporting AM4 since 2017. They may, there's even, I would not be surprised if there was a Zen 3 Plus on AM4 mm-hmm. uh, mid to early next year, you know, a five nanometer Zen 3 or something. Like, that wouldn't surprise me if they brought out those products. If they, I mean, that Gamers Nexus says he knows that that's something that they're considering, you know, so that's, that's really, you know, four years of supporting this platform. And I, I even saw today, uh, uh, articles saying that even though it's not officially supported, some 300 series motherboards are working with Zen uh, 3 in them. I mean, so, that doesn't surprise me. I wouldn't bet money and hope that that works for you. But yeah, that's not surprising. But yeah, so I think at the end of the day, you get Zen 3 because that's the best product out now, or you already have the platform. And honestly, by now, the bugs in Zen 1, there were bugs, like yeah. a lot of them. I mean, listen to the hardware unboxed episodes of Broken Silicon, where we talk about just the nightmare they had to deal with. Like right now, this platform's ultra stable. It is the strongest platform. I think that's why you get Zen 3. But if you don't need it, you don't need it. You can wait and there will be cheaper uh, lower prices on these products late next year, or you can just wait for Zen 4. Although I really, I wouldn't wait for Zen 4 unless you're willing to wait till early 2022. And remember, DDR5 prices probably won't be cheap. Uh, yeah, that's true. But it, I mean, yeah, a- AM4, is, it's getting to be, and we already saw this, it's getting to be an unwieldy pa- platform that I think they need to get off of eventually. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot they learned about putting enough memory and storage on the <laughs> motherboard to support, you know, a, I mean, half a decade of supporting tons of CPUs. Yeah. Um, all right. Story number three. AMD confirms RX 6000 series will support existing ray tracing titles. And I'm quoting from AdoreTV.com. Though AMD's October 28th reveal was impressive, the company fell short of providing actual performance numbers. And it was unclear about whether or not these new graphics cards would support the existing library of games which utilize DXR ray tracing. We reached out to AMD for clarification and received the following response. Quote from AMD, AMD will support all ray tracing titles using industry-based standards, including the Microsoft DXR API and the upcoming Vulkan ray tracing API. Games making use of the proprietary ray tracing APIs and extensions will not be supported. So in other words, Titles such as Wolfenstein, Youngblood, and Quake 2 RTX may not be supported. 
But that's because it's proprietary for NVIDIA, not because they can't, you know. So I, I think yeah. the answer is, yeah, they're going to support Battlefield Five and all of these other games. But if it's an NVIDIA exclusive game, just pathetic to think that that's a thing in PC gaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing AMD can do about that. Well, yeah, I mean, proprietary code means they don't have access to it. So, <laughs> but I mean, that's it, it's good to see that it will support all it will support all the Microsoft and Vulcan ray tracing. And I mean, I think that was the one big question mark that AMD had in their reveal for the uh, 6000 series. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I saw some early, you know, I saw it in our Discord and I saw it, you know, on some websites like, will AMD even work with modern, you know, ray tracing games? And I'm like, I just don't know why they wouldn't. I mean, they're going to be on next gen. They're in both next gen consoles. Developers, I mean, and I already have heard Dice talk about how they're just going to patch Battlefield 5 eventually for Big Navi. I'd be very surprised if they didn't, you know. Uh, AMD wouldn't do this unless it's going to be supported on <laughs> all games they can be supported on. Again, if it's proprietary, there's nothing they can do about it, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. I, I think they didn't highlight it because their ray tracing probably won't be as good as NVIDIA's ray tracing this year. Captain Fantastic writes in and he says, Hey, Tom, there are some charts out there right now showing that the Radeon 6000 series might be much better at ray tracing than currently believed. Do you think it could be the case that AMD are leaving the ray tracing performance to the benchmarks to help keep the new cards in the new cycle? Or are these figures groundless? Well, all I can say from my end my is all I've ever reported is all of my sources saying there's no doubt it should be better than Turing but it shouldn't be better than Ampere. And again, what that means, I don't know, right? The 3090 is like not d- twice as good at ray tracing, unfortunately, as the 2080 Ti, but it does seem to be over 50% better. And in some games, it's 70 or 80% better. So there you go. Will AMD be 80% better than a 2080 Ti at ray tracing? Highly unlikely, <laughs> but will it be better than it? All of my sources have said they, all evidence suggests yes. Now, do I think AMD is leaving this out because they they want a big bombshell? No, it's because it's not something to brag about. Like, I think that's literally all it comes down to is that their rasterization performance is matching NVIDIA this gen while using less energy most of the time. That's what you brag about. If you're not going to win in ray tracing, and it doesn't seem like it might have any real advantage over Ampere, why even talk about it? Just... Don't talk about it. Let people say, oh, it's probably going to be p- terrible. And then when they see the ray tracing isn't that far behind, oh, pleasantly surprised. I mean, yeah. If it were as strong as Ampere and ray tracing, you can bet that they would have shown that in the reveal because, well, they would have gotten another positive news cycle during the reviews anyways. It, uh, either way, if they showed it off or not, if it were that good. So, I mean, yeah, yeah we'll be, hopefully we'll be pleasantly surprised and see that it's, I don't know, the, 6900 XT is is as good or better than the 2080 Ti at ray tracing. I mean, and when it comes to the specific benchmarks that are being leaked around, I've seen enough of them that I think some of them are real, but I don't literally know they're real, so I'm not going to share them and say I think it's real. Hey, Tom jumping in here with an update before I throw this podcast out there. After the recording in the middle of the night, I did get some updates from a couple of sources. Uh, One of them has a big Navi graphics card and says, I mean, look, 
I don't have the numbers yet because he just started benchmarking, but it is not as good as Ampere. So at the very least, confirmed 6900 XT, the very least with high levels of ray tracing, is not as good at the 3090. In fact, to use the word, it tanked uh, in some games with ray tracing turned on. So let's just leave it at that. Um, I would say that, again, just assuming the top big Navi card exceeds the 2080 Ti, and hopefully gets uh, less of a performance loss when you turn ray tracing down to low levels. That is what people should expect. I know there's a bunch of Big Navi ray tracing rumors swirling around now. Not better than Ampere. Probably is slightly better than Turing. At this point, I think you can almost take that to the bank. But again, that, I just had to get that in. And then another thing I wanted to bring up as well is me and Dan are about to talk about this comparison. I believe Engadget does. Uh, with PlayStation 5, Miles Morales with the ray tracing mode turned on compared to Watch Dogs Legions. Of course, it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but they thought they were both visually impressive games, and they wanted to see, you know, like, is it like a similar level of graphical performance between them uh, to the 3090 system they had, which they concluded it was. Um, I, I have to say that multiple sources do emphasize to me as well that that is not standard RDNA <laughs> uh, 2 in the PlayStation 5, that you should not be making that comparison. And furthermore, that both next-gen consoles run purpose-built code for specific types of ray tracing. So, yeah, I guess that's all you can say. You know, when you look at Miles Morales, which is being shown off all over the place now with its ray tracing mode turned on, that doesn't mean Big Navi will match uh, the 3090 in ray tracing performance either. Um, but, uh, yeah, so just had to get all of that out there. Back to the show. And, and you know what? All we—the <laughs> funny thing is—all we have to go on is still the freaking consoles. At the end of the day, and I—I I looked at it, and we'll get to this later. Like I've been, you know, catching up on console information, as that's going to be the big focus of like next week's Broken Silicon. And they compared Spider-Man and 4K 30 frames per second ray tracing mode, which the, the performance mode just basically turns off ray tracing and a few other things, but still runs in 4K, which is interesting. Um. And they compared it to Watch Dogs Legion with a 3090 with ray tracing turned on. And they're like, see, Watch Dogs Legions can run it probably a little better. And I was like, immediately in the video they were showing, I'm like, that's not running at 60 frames. <laughs> and then I checked Tech Power Ups benchmarks, which I sent you, Dan. And uh, what would you say about the Watch Dogs Legions performance on a 3090? Uh, not super great, is what I would say. I mean, you have a. Two, almost $2,000 graphics card without ray tracing um, on, and it's getting below 60 frames. So I think, again, the fact saying the consoles are running, you know, and, I, and we've seen some Xbox Series X gameplay with ray tracing on that seems to be running 4K30 at mostly ultra settings. I'm sticking by the consoles are around a 2080 Ti, guys. Um, and I really wouldn't brag about ray tracing performance where, and again, there's links in the description guys where they're showing RTX ultra turned on with the 3090 and it's getting 17 frames a second. I mean, that's not, not great. (laughs) No, RTX. Yeah. So this isn't a scene. I believe. Yeah. So it looks like this is a scene with ray tracing turned off and it's getting 44 frames on a 3090 and 4k. And then you turn it on and it gets 17 frames a second. So I doubt the consoles are doing high ray tracing, but it they don't, I don't know. They use some, ver- they both use some version of RDNA with their own customizations and they both seem to be running ray tracing. It, not 
mag not notably worse than Ampere without getting benchmarks. I mean, yeah, it's just a matter. These aren't the same as the desktop cards. You know, I know there's some customizations in the PS5 that won't be on desktop cards till RDNA 3. And I know that there are some specific customizations to the Xbox Series X that, well, no one's claimed what generation they're in, but they're not in RDNA 2. So, yeah. And also, I, I don't know if this is how it's done in the Miles Morales, but I, I think they can get more specific with what they're ray tracing in. Miles Morales. Exactly, which it seems like mirrors and puddles, which is all I would really want to bother with anyways. Yeah. Until, some, some stuff on cars. Until it's an actual feature that, uh, a non-semi-gimmicky feature, I don't think you can do more than that. Chris F. writes in and says, what do you think would have happened if, while still using Infinity Cache, AMD used a 384-bit memory bus? Would this have had an impact on the current performance? And so... I put some notes about this question because it's an interesting one. You know, I've already covered that. I know there was some 384-bit model they tested. You know, like a, a quote from one source was, yeah, dude, I don't think that model's ever coming out. So there was an engineering sample 384-bit bus, but I don't know if it had infinity cache, how much it had. I'm guessing it had less, right? And I'm guessing AMD experimented with different designs, some without it, some with it, some with bigger buses and, in su- and less infinity cache. And I think at the end of the day, we need reviews. What we need, we, it seems, it seems like the 6900 XT, right, is, you know, it's like a, what, what do we say? It's like a 10%, 15% smaller die than the 3090, but it's a better node. And it seems it gets about the same rasterization. So it seems like the die space was well utilized for that. But that's in 4K. We don't know, right, if in 8K it falls off a cliff. If it doesn't fall off a cliff that much relative to the 3090, I would say, no, I don't know that a 3D4 bus, bit bus would have helped that much. If it does, I would say, well, yeah, more bandwidth helps. But I would assume you would, like, what's the point, right? You only go with a bigger bus if you're going to play it at a higher resolution. Mm-hmm. So you would then want to have more cash so you can better utilize that higher resolution. So then what, 256 megabytes of cache instead of 128, at least? 8K is a lot bigger than 4K. How big is this die now? Bigger than Ampere? Well, we'll see the benchmarks. It'll be interesting to see, but my my theory is that uh, they don't didn't need a wider bus than 256-bit at 4K specifically because, let's be honest, the... Uh, gaming at 8K thing, it's almost a joke. Like, that's no one's going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. So, Stormblast writes in and says, So, I was randomly thinking, due to the large improvements in gaming as a result of more cash on die, what's stopping Intel or AMD from dramatically increasing the amount of cash? Is it due to physical die space? Yes. <laughs> like, more cash better, almost always, but more cash take up space. Also, more cash doesn't shrink as well as cores. Again, a Zen 2 core is like, I believe, 5 millimeters squared or something around there. That's nothing. <laughs> I believe the cache actually takes up the same, if not more space than the... It takes up more space than the cores in Zen 2. I haven't looked at Zen 3. It's probably about the same. Um, you know, so think of that. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, will I think they'll keep adding more cache, though, just because as you... And, and you know, like a compute unit, by the way, guys, the one, yes, and the, the one that has 64 stream processors, one of those takes up 4.2 um, millimeter squares in the 5700 XT. So at the end, at, around there. So at the end of the day, 
Like as you shrink those again, that's a little more room you can do cash, but cash just takes up so much space. Yeah, you know, I do. I do see a world though where we do continue to add tons of cash. To be clear, and I'm. I mean, I'm just looking at a uh, architecture die shot of like Zen three. It's 32 megabytes of cash takes up the size of eight cores, so that's why they can't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, but what they decided, right? I believe with RDNA two, Big Navi is. Well, the bus does take up space, though. That memory controller, those are mm-hmm. more 32-bit memory controllers for GDR6. They're like, you know, we can fit 128 megabytes in a, you know, sh- smaller than, and you know, this isn't the biggest die. I saw some people saying this is the biggest IMBs ever made. No, it's not. Fury was bigger. <laughs> um, you know, we're, they're making something smaller than the Fury that should be able to replicate that level of bandwidth in most scenarios. It's just a smarter way of doing things. Once we move to 8K, who knows what's going to happen. But And again, that goes for the same thing with people asking about why don't they put HBM on it. Are we sure HBM would help? One quote from a source said, one guy literally said to me, I'm not even sure they got more performance in in most games by doubling bandwidth with HBM. We'll have to see with reviews. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I wouldn't yeah. rule that out when you guys ask these questions. Yeah, I mean, it's just not necessary. And if it yeah, I don't know. It's just not necessary with the uh, Infinity Cash. Uriel Acosta writes in and says, how am I supposed to believe 6900 XT drivers will be better than the 5700 XT and the 5700 XT still has problems? Well, you know, me and you both have Vega, Dan, so I can't comment on problems. Um, when, I, when I reviewed the 5700, I didn't really have any problems. Yeah. I, I used it for about a week, pain-free. I mean, and we've had some driver issues with the Vegas, but I have I haven't had last any, fall. Yeah, I haven't had anything significant since last fall. Aside from I had to flash my BIOS BIOS back from the sixty four BIOS on your fifty six. Yeah, but that might just be I've had this card for three years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you used it for mining for a decent amount of time, didn't you? Uh, I mean, yeah, I used it for a decent amount. Of time mining, but I was I just saying, your card has had heavy use for three years, and it's like, eh, maybe not the overclocked BIOS anymore. Yeah, that's probably maybe maybe I should uh, not push it quite as hard as I have in the past. But I mean, when it comes to uh, it's worth mentioning, RDNA one had some hardware level bugs, man, that just have been fixed in RDNA two. Yeah, and that's why. And and also, just look, I can't promise you RDNA two will be perfect. Right? We need to wait for reviews. So a lot of people thought I was downplaying how impressive RDNA 2 was in my, you know, reveal analysis video. And I'm like, well, you know, I was critical of NVIDIA. Until third-party reviews are out, a little bit of skepticism, maybe, people. You know, and I think you keep that skepticism. You know, we can't say the drivers will be good until they are. Having said that, again, I've talked to some people. You couldn't be higher up at AMD for some of these, basically, without it being Lisa Sue. Let's just put it that way. They immediately it's like they they don't get insulted if you bring up drivers they say this won't happen again it was a disaster we were not happy internally with that so (laughs) all i know is it's a top priority for them but we can't take them at their word we'll just have to wait for third-party reviews i mean yeah like like we've said never take them at their word they are they are showing you what they what they're showing you for a reason Phil writes in and says, will we see a new vintage of Radeon fine wine with the console sharing architectures in the following years? 
Um, I mean, I think so to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's no surprise, final, full, fixed working, not a bridge architecture, full RDNA is coming out right next to the consoles. RDNA 2 is going to be well supported. Again, will it age as well as GCM? I don't know, guys. GCN was a 10-year architecture that by the end of it had to age well just because they were still programming for it a decade later. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, hopefully it does. That would be cool to see. And based given the fact that uh, both consoles are using it, there's a good chance, yeah. Uh, Shifty McHacks writes him and he says, well, third-party benchmarks are yet to be released for the RX 6000 series GPUs, assuming they're fairly accurate. Do you think that AMD will continue the strategy of being better bang for the buck while not necessarily having top performance? Or do you see them long-term looking to claim the top performance crown and trying to grab that NVIDIA premium mindshare while also adjusting their prices to match? So... Uh, first of all, what I would say is I think AMD's done being a budget brand already when you look at the prices of RDNA 2. I think they're priced fairly. I think they're priced better than Ampere. I recommend it over Ampere, assuming that all things go well on day one benchmarks, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm not. this isn't like the 480, where the 480 had more RAM than the 1060 and cost $50 less. <laughs> yeah, it works better at higher resolutions, usually. Not always, though. I, I mean... It- yeah, I would say I would say the six thousand series. It's priced aggressively, but they're not. It's not a bargain bin brand anymore. That's not what they're going for. No, and I don't really ever expect them to do this again. Uh, AMD's done being the bargain brand. They they've already shown this with RDNA two, but I do think they'll always try to have better price performance within reason. Again, people get mad at the Zen three prices. 5800X is cheaper than the 10900K, uses less energy, and overall beats it in gaming. Lower price, guys. So I, that's how I kind of see it with RDNA 2, literally the same thing. Look, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the 6800 XT will trade blows with the 3080 as expected, maybe lose a little bit in ray tracing, but use less energy, has more RAM, $50 yeah. cheaper. You know, so it's literally <laughs> the same situation. In terms of them going for the crown, they never really intended to go for the crown with RDNA 2. RDNA 2 was designed, co-developed with Sony for a console, you know, with with help from Microsoft as well. This was never meant to scale up to this top <laughs> level of gaming performance. It's just NVIDIA so royally fucked up this generation compared to where it should be, in my opinion, that AMD's, if they push it, they can go for challenging the crown. They're not taking it, but they are at least kind of challenging it and I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll age better than the 3090. So, you know, with, with that in mind, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, this was never meant to be, but I've always heard from sources RDNA 3. Like, do you, like the, the, I've been asking this question since the beginning of this year to some sources. Do you expect them to take the crown? The answer's always been, they think they can with RDNA 3. That's consistently been what they said. I think they're really going to go for it with RDNA 3. Can I promise you they will? Of course not. But I think that's when they really go for it. And I would also say there's something going on. I don't think NVIDIA saw AMD competing this well against them because... Oh, of course not. They wouldn't have gone with Samsung. I mean, they I think they were forced to go with Samsung. They wouldn't have put themselves in a position where they could be forced to go with Samsung. Yeah. Unless their arrogance was at an all-time high. Yeah, and it's beginning to look like it clearly was. 
Willie Ram writes in and he says, Hi, Tom, would you bet $50 that AMD will have a commemorative RDNA 3 7970 XT? No, I wouldn't bet money on that, but it wouldn't surprise me if an AI beat it. Right? Ooh. Again, like, yeah. like I could see specifically Sapphire, which there's a lot of hints, by the way, there will be a 6900 and 6800 XT toxic cards, which is exciting. <laughs> Um, again, hoping the 6900 XT Toxic is uh, 2.5 gigahertz, 18 gigabit per second, 32 gigabytes of memory. That, would, <laughs> I mean, again, I would consider it at that point. Although that would probably be like $2,000 or something. That's I don't when know. I start begging Sapphire Ad for one to review. <laughs> like, I've never really asked to do reviews. That's one where I'm like, give me it. That one. I'll Please. build a, a proper benchmarking station. I'll get the proper cards to test against it. This is one. This is you know that that's when I start getting excited in new graphics card releases. Truly, again, yeah. But I mean, I th- again, I think I've seen people ask me this, and again, nobody wants a seven nine seventy XT more than me. So I can say, so I can potentially not up, you know, potentially upgrade to a seven nine seventy again. But I, I just think people need to remember it's not the same, really, from a mindshare perspective as the 5870. I remember it as one of their best graphics cards, and I do think it is. But it's not. It didn't. It, it didn't really gain market share. Kind of just barely kept it from the 6000 series, if not lost a little. You know, the the you guys got to remember GCN didn't win AMD all this market share. It was the previous ones that did. So again, though, I could see Sapphire doing that. Yeah, and the, the 7970 definitely ha- had a cult following, but it, it was never a, a mainstream, like, super card that people talk about all the time. But I would love a commemorative 7970. Speaking of wanting graphics cards, story number four, <laughs> NVIDIA's Ultimate Play update. So I don't have that much specifically to say, except that links in the description... I've, you know, I tweeted this out before doing the Broken Silicon. I've been getting feedback from distributors. Well, really, I mean, for the past two months, of course, you know, some of the people that I talked to for the Ultimate Play, you know, article, um, and then just people that reached out afterwards seeing that, you know, I work for this little distributor here, you know, in France, you know, oh, I'm in Texas, I'm at a micro center in Texas. Oh, you know, I'm this one, you know, tech shop in Vietnam, like literally people all over the place. and. The past week has been clear. More cards are showing up. And in fact, I wanted, I shared on Twitter a snapshot from one of the distributors who isn't like, this isn't like, you know, Mind Factory or Amazon. This isn't a distributor that works. There's a smaller one globally, relatively speaking. And they say, yeah, now, now they're getting about a thousand a week to this small distributor of 3080s. So that's that, guys. I mean, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> It's not as many as NVIDIA probably wishes they could have, but they are providing substantially higher volume after prices were elevated right when I said they would, guys. And, 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 this, is, and this isn't about gloating. This is about telling you, if you wanted an NVIDIA card, they are there now. They're selling out instantly, as was planned, <laughs> but they're there. You should be checking. They're not non-existent anymore. It's kind of a PSA, really. If you're trying to get Ampere, you can get it now. Yeah, I mean, once again, it's, it's. I'm looking at it. It's still hard to find them, but now's the time to now's the time to start looking again if you wanted to get one. <laughs> and and a big problem is that 
a lot of the earlier orders were less than NVIDIA told their distributors they would get. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these are still just directly going to people who pre-ordered their cards. I've had multiple people reach out in comments or just talk in the comment sections. If, you know, like at the end of the day, if it's a week before Big Navi launches, I'm just canceling my 3080 pre-order. Meaning there's people (laughs) that still haven't gotten the cards they pre-ordered months ago. Hey, I mean, that's what a pre-order is, right? You pre-order it so you can get it a month and a half after it comes out. Hey, Tom, you're with an update post-recording. After me and Dan finished, you know, the initial recording for this episode, Broken Silicon 74, later in the night, Gamers Nexus put out a, well, a a report on NVIDIA price fixing and bullying AIBs into accepting lower margins that, I mean, let's be honest, guys, completely followed the story that was told in the... Moore's Law is Dead's NVIDIA's Ultimate Play article in video put out two months ago. So that's really interesting. I mean, I told him that I was happy to see him support, you know, the, at least this story on Twitter, which I, some people took that negatively. Let me just say that right now. If you want to send this to Steve at Gamers Nexus, when I put a smiley face in a tweet, that means take this as a friendly comment. And then, and a lot of people said, well, that can mean passive aggressiveness. And I said, okay, well, then what's the 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 emoji you put to say, take this genuinely and I mean this nicely. They're like, oh, there isn't one. And it's like, well, so, okay, well, I guess, I, how am I, you know, that really, I understand it though. You know, he put, I believe him, you know, months of effort into that report. I did. And so I believe him because I know I put that much effort into getting that report out. But, and so I understand the defensiveness to think someone's trying to dismiss something you put out. Not dismissing it, Steve, saying, you have a lot of similar information to what I have. Of course, he centered his around GA106, really, right from the sounds of it. It sounds like NVIDIA wants to put the uh, RTX 3060 below, so not the GA104 variant, but not the 3060 Ti, but the 3060 below $300 MSRP. And yeah, I mean, based on what I know, that's <laughs> NVIDIA, you know, put the 2060 at 350 for a reason. You know, I know that the power delivery for Ampere is a bit expensive. And so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. At this point, I think it's fair to say, especially after my other updates I just covered in this episode about, you know, now the supply of 3080s and 3090s is increasing right on schedule. The NVIDIA's Ultimate Play report that was put out by Moore's Law's Dead two months ago is turning 100% accurate. NVIDIA wanted to be perceived as being more consumer-friendly, but they knew that Ampere, if they were going to push it, would require expensive boards and expensive cooling for the top models. And so they tried to have their cake and eat it too. They tried to pretend the MSRP was lower, you know, bo- you know, try to make AIBs play ball by having them sell at least part of their stock around MSRP and give them a cashback rebate, just as I covered and Steve's covering. And that at the end of the day, it's kind of blowing up in NVIDIA's faces. And the only way this would have worked is if RDNA 2 couldn't couldn't beat the 3080, and it's going to, uh, at least in rasterization. So, yep, that's really all there is to say. I guess I'll also add this. Based on Steve's report, it's worth mentioning that, yeah, GA106 is probably what, you know, 192 bit is what's in the uh, 3060. Still not giving you full uh, cut down GA104 for the 3060. That'll be the 3060 Ti. And if they want the 3060 below $300 MSRP, according to Steve's report, what that would tell me is, yeah, I don't know. I guess they might just do $300 
for the 3060 and $400 for the 3060 Ti with 8 gigabytes. That one based on a cut-down GA104. And if they do that, I mean, I don't know. I it It's really in AMD's court to make Navi 22 crush both of them. That, 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 that would be why NVIDIA wants to get the MSRP actually below $300, is if NVIDIA knows they need to put the 3060 at 250 and the 3060 Ti at 350 That's what I would think. But uh, anyways, back to the show. But yeah, so I don't know that much else to add to this, except that I also just want to say that I'm becoming worried people have no conception of what a paper launch is. I'm starting to see some tech tubers just throw out videos. Oh, 3070 was a paper launch. Guys, it wasn't. It wasn't. Like they had over 100,000 on launch day. Is that as many as they should have? No, I think RDNA could have a lot more than that, by the way. Um, Total, when you add up all the AIBs and direct from AMD. But uh, 100,000 is not a paper launch. Guys, when things sell out, it's not a paper launch. For example, the PlayStation 5 will not be a paper launch. But guess what? It's not going to be easy to get one. Like, and, I, and I'm just worried this whole obsession with Ampere being a paper launch is making everyone call everything a paper launch. It, it's, they're not. If your threshold... <laughs> Zen what, 3 wasn't. If your threshold for what you consider a paper launch to be will... Is supply going to meet demand? Well, then every launch is a paper launch because supply never meets demand for any piece of tech. I mean, one thing that's really annoying me too is this whole Zen 3 paper launch talk. You know, definitely not. I have multiple distributors that have sent me pictures of pallets of Zen 3, Mm -hmm. right? This is not a paper launch. Is there less availability right now than there was last year at Zen 2? Well, yeah, but it's, it launched a couple of months after, or, or I think more than a couple of months. I think it was like August or July when Zen 2 came out. Like this is launching like a quarter later, um, like oh, pretty much than Zen 2. So of course there's less availability this November. It launched in November instead of July or August. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point to bring up that no one, that I haven't heard no one's brought up making. before for some reason. <laughs> the fact that we're in a different market than we were <laughs> at this point last year. In fact, I've been told that there's more 5950Xs at launch day than there were 3950Xs. Mm. I, I mean, like a decent it, amount more. And it's just like, yeah, both of those sold out day one because that's what CPUs do. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, is it easy to get? No. Is it as available as Zen 2? No, but it's not a paper launch, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and you know... All I can say is I know that, and this is another, you know, I tweeted this out too, on like to just make sure it was known that I know that of over a million Zen 3s that are planned to be sold, honestly, before quarter one, but I would say just by quarter one because COVID complicates things. Um, And I think people go a million. So that means there's endless supply. No, I think Zen 2 shipped with like two or three million. Well, not shipped, but by this point in time was supplying like, over a few million a quarter, right? So mm-hmm. it's also possible that, I, like, you know, when I say a million, I think people might go, this isn't true, I couldn't get one. Guys, there's a, there's more than a million people trying to get these CPUs. I mean, yeah, that's another thing is... That's I, a million total to OEMs, I, you know, businesses. <laughs> I think, um, one, I, I think people might assume the DIY market is smaller than it is. Like, you say it's a niche niche market, but... It, a niche market in a world with 7 billion people but is this, still right, a pretty so, but big market. But this isn't just for the do-it-yourself market. No, I, I know. This and is going to businesses, OEMs, 
that's also worth remembering, though. Yeah, I know. And then I was going to say then on top of that, there's the mar- there's the markets, more traditional markets that they're also serving with these products. So, yeah, a million isn't that many. It, it's just not that many CPUs. It sounds, but it's, it's not a, big a paper number. launch. You know, what, what do you define as a pay? Well, you can't say that many. It's yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like we're getting into semantics. It's, it's a lot, but it's not enough to make everyone happy on day one. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I would say NVIDIA, yeah, how would I put NVIDIA's current situation? Well, they're going to supply a ton of cards right when I said they would. As you know, but it's still not, it still does seem less than people were expecting. It seems like they lied straight up to distributors how many they would have at a certain point, too. So <laughs> there's no way around it. I can't confirm how many RDNA chips, two chips there will be yet. But as far as I can tell, there will be more big Navi chips, most likely, than all of 3070, 3080, and 3090 combined for this year. Probably. <laughs> so that definitely not a paper launch from AMD. It's just, it's not going to be enough to satisfy the fact that NVIDIA really probably supplied a fourth of what the demand actually was. Yeah. Um, Cheesy Ramen writes in and says, Hey, Tom, I got my 3080 Founders Edition for $630. Of course, that's before tax and $15 shipping. Was it worth it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, what did, you, wh- what did you say? It was, if you can get it for pri- uh, MSRP, it's worth it. And that's $70 below MSRP, so... Yeah, again, I think people mis- misunderstand my thoughts on the 3080. My problem is it's mostly being sold for $800. If it's being sold for $800, 10 gigabytes is kind of a joke in my opinion. We had the 11 gigabyte, hello, 1080 Ti for four, three years ago. So for yeah. less than that. So even adjusting for inflation, they're just lowering memory amounts on what they're they're calling it a flagship. I would say it's not a flagship, but they are. So I would say if they want to charge, in effect, a real street price of $800, this should have been a 12 gigabyte card. Like, right? That's what this should have been. However, 10 gigabytes, it is pretty strong. So if it's 600, I always thought the launch price should have been 650 and I would have not complained at all. But it should have been either or, in my opinion. It should have been like 750 for 12 gigabytes or 650 or less for 10. You can get a 3080 for under $700. Uh, yeah, that's a good price. That's fine. You know, it's it should perform the same as a 6800 XT. You got it for the price as a 6800 XT, less RAM, but it ray traces better. That, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. No, I absolutely have no problem. Again, there's no such thing as a bad product, just a bad price. Yeah. Uh, Samwise writes in, apparently taking a break from helping Frodo destroy the ring. And he says, do you consider 6800 XT a good upgrade for 1080 Ti owners? Um... I mean, 1080 Ti, so fifth, yeah. yeah. It's like, I, it's almost double the performance, right? With more memory. It, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, it, it all depends on how much money you like to spend how often, too. And again, I think the, be- the best question you can always ask is, um, what are you buying it for? Are you, ga- are you gaming at 4K 120? <laughs> you know, because I have a Radeon 7, which is about the same performance as a 1080 Ti. And I don't have a problem, you know, like I we just started a new game. What was it? It's that mining game that's on Xbox Game Pass. Something Galactic Rock. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> it's like Galactic Rock. There's a bunch of mining, like it's a co-op game. 
I no problem running that max out settings at around 100 something hertz and 1800p. I turn it to 1800p. I'm like, looks good enough to me. I don't care. Now, are you trying to do newer, I guess not newer, but like harder to run games at 4K 120? Then yeah, this is justified. Are you gaming in 4K 60 though? Make sure you're going to notice the difference, you know. It is an upgrade though. It is truly a big upgrade. Three years later, you're paying the same price despite inflation and getting basically double the performance and more memory. Uh, probably about the same power usage. Yeah, that's that's good. That's 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 what I would call a decent upgrade. I'm yeah. probably going to wait for RDNA 3 though because I like to have hilarious performance upgrades because who knows I could end up getting it. Uh, I mean, b- really big performance upgrades are more fun. So you also have to... Uh, Consider that, Tom. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need and games as well. Add them to your cart and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Story number five. So details continue to leak about potential RTX 3080 Ti's, 3060 Ti's, and all sorts of silly things coming to the lineup from NVIDIA. And I'm quoting here, I believe from Tech Power Up, after the company has been reported and never confirmed to be working on double memory configurations for their RTX 3070 and 3080 graphics cards with 16 gigabyte and 20 gigabyte models, the company is now reported to have settled for a 20 gigabyte RTX 3080 Ti to face a apparently pending independent reviews resurgent AMD. The 3080 Ti, as of now, is rumored to have the same CUDA core count as the RTX 3090, so that's 10,496 FP32 cores, but over the same 320-bit memory bus as the 3080. This comes from Copite, a Twitter leaker with a good track record that includes the board and SKU numbers along with the GPU codename GA102250. The performance differentiator is the memory amount and having the same amount of cores. Then it's also worth uh, mentioning that in the description, I have a link to a supposed 3060 Ti that is delayed to December with eight gigabytes of memory. Although again, when it comes to NVIDIA's lineup, they're clearly considering completely shifting what it was planned to be about a few months ago. So I don't know, looking at all this new, what, I mean, let's start here. What do you have to say about a 20 gigabyte 3080 Ti? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know where you what you price it at, where like where in the performance it's going to be because 
at the top end, the uh, performance is so close between their cards if they launch this thing that it's insane. So what? This Besides is, 8K, because of memory constraints. Yeah, it's just like, what? So is this going to be 2.5% stronger than a 3080 or something? Or <laughs> where, where does this I go? mean, it'll probably be 5% better. Yeah, I unless mean... Unless you're running out of VRAM, which and, you will be in a decent <laughs> amount of games this fall. Watchdog Legions requires more than 10 gigabytes. Got to keep reminding people I'm not crazy <laughs> when I say that. Go on. And I mean, I don't know. I guess this is also assuming that if they don't outright cancel or get rid of the 3080 in their lineup there it's not going to be as prominently featured so maybe it won't matter and i don't know people that bought the 3080 are just kind of burned though i don't know yeah i think it's a weird one i i mean my opinion and i've said it a few times now has always kind of been that if nvidia really wants to shake things up what they should actually do is probably i mean <laughs> there's two ways you can go about this but what I would somewhat recommend they do is just literally release a 3080 12 gigabyte. Call it the 3080 12 gigabyte, and it just uses normal GDR6 16 gigabit per second memory. That would equal almost exactly the same bandwidth as 10 gigabytes of GDR6. And there you go. Just release it at the same price, phase out the 10 gigabyte model, say, well, what do you want? You got it sooner, you know, and maybe even because GDR6 is a little cheaper, try to make it 650. And then you do something like a 12 gigabyte GDR6X 3090 for like a gram. That's always kind of what I thought made the most sense and was the less, the least chaotic <laughs> to their lineup. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's mean, like 3090, yeah. 12 gigabyte. Okay. 3080, 12 gigabyte with normal GDR6. All right. Like, I think that's the most sensical thing to do. But otherwise, uh, if you're just going to, you know, stick to your guns, insist the 3080 only has 10 gigabytes. Uh, I, which I just think is a major problem when you're going to start comparing it, especially long-term. I mean, like, especially early next year when you have multiple next-gen games out, comparing that to the 16 gigabyte 6800 XT could get ugly in 4K. Um, I think the most sensical thing to do would have been like a, uh, honestly, a 22 or an 11 gigabyte 3080 Ti. <laughs> because when you say 20 gigabytes, it's still... You know, it's still GDR, like a 320-bit bus. I feel like you're almost... Wa- you don't need 20 gigabytes. So you're almost just wasting money on GDR6X to... I, I, yeah. Like it'd be better. You might as well give it 22 gigabytes so that it can be almost exactly the same performance as a 3090 and then drop it for 999 against the 6900 XT, which would have probably been the same performance too. That's well, what I would have done. And it would have more RAM, so easy to market. Uh, I mean, yeah, but then what do you do with the 3090? The Well, I don't know. The 3090. Nothing. It's technically the strongest card you can buy right now. And yeah, that's people true. Will pay, they might as well charge eight grand for it because those people will pay any price. I mean, if they're releasing a new card that costs a grand, it better have as good performance or better than... It, 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 22 sh- gigabytes, it would have been... It would have been the same, Dan, I think. Yeah, 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 you're right. I don't know. And I guess the only other thing I would say about your hypothetical uh, 12 gigabyte 3080 would be i think it would perform a little worse in current games and i don't think they that would look like an advertising win so i don't know if they would want to do something like that either what what would be wrong with it in games the 12 what, gigabyte 3080 yeah wouldn't it perform or? a little worse than a tw- uh, the 10 gigabyte 3080 with no current games no i told you same bandwidth oh i guess yeah yeah same right. bandwidth more ram cheaper I don't know why they went. Yeah, the, I stand by. I don't know why they gave it 10 gigabytes of GDR6X 
when 12 gigabytes is actually slightly, 12 gigabytes of normal GDR6 uses less energy, is slightly more bandwidth, and costs less, unless they have defective memory controllers. I don't know that, though. I kind of doubt it, but... I hope there's like something we're missing because yeah, that's incredibly stupid. If if they just went with, as said in a previous broken silicon, a borderline experimental uh, memory system with GDR6. I think at the end of the day, it's not just the GDR6X's fault. And again, this is theory, guys. Yeah, I'm not confirming this, but I, I, I you know, it, it's no secret that they didn't get to clock most of Ampere as high as they wanted to, especially compared to some of those earlier samples that were leaking. So it wouldn't surprise me if the memory controller can't handle bandwidth as high as Mm. as they wanted to either. Look at the 3090. It's using 21 gigabit per second memory. And even after overclocking, they can't get it above 20.5. And it seems to (laughs) use an insane amount of energy when you up. I mean, Igor's lab showed massive heat output in the memory controller. I wouldn't be surprised if Samsung's node can't clock the memory as fast as they intended. And that's the whole reason they went with 320 uh, bit. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that there's clearly something going on with the memory controller because uh, just there's there's weird stuff in Ampere that doesn't make sense unless it's true. Yeah, I mean, that that Samsung's node, Samsung has somewhat predictably fallen short of, you know, what you, I mean, I mean, when it, I've had multiple people say, like, it's actually bizarre they're using Samsung. This is by far the most complex product ever manufactured at Samsung's boundaries. Well, yeah, that too. And they, some for some reason, got stuck on uh, Samsung's node for well, manufacturing. Well, it's because, you know, they bid, they were bidding TSMC against Samsung. And then they kept going, are you sure Samsung will give us a better price? And well, they were trying to get them to bid against each other, AMD just walked through the door and said, hey, we'll just buy that all right now for what you're asking. Bye, and left. <laughs> and I mean, listen, there's enough AMD products being made right now where they can easily use all of that capacity. Exactly. Like, I don't remember who it was. Someone recently canceled some of their booked capacity at TSMC, and they said within an hour, AMD bought it up to produce consoles. <laughs> Jesus. I think AMD just did it without even asking Sony and Microsoft. They're like, we know you'll want them. <laughs> this is thrice that I must show up with an update post-recording. Just a nightmare to finish this episode with how much news is coming out after recording it. But, you know, it's about the 3080 Ti. I just thought I would add in here that Video Cards is covering from another website, both links in the description, that the 3080 Ti is likely to launch in January, which sounds about right. If you remember last episode with Dan, we were talking about how the soonest they could get it is like a paper launch in December. It takes time to have a new model come out. So, yep, it's looking like probably January for the 20 gigabyte 3080 Ti. And I do say 20 gigabyte because one of my best sources says that it is sounding like 20 gigabytes. I can't 100% confirm it, but I think it's worth mentioning since other people, including Copite, are saying it will be 20 gigabytes. And now that I have one of my own sources saying the same, yep. So uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be probably close to 3090, if not exactly 3090 core count. And the same 320-bit memory interface, except now with double the memory, for $1,000, which is what they were hoping to charge for the 3080 20 gigabyte anyways. Basically, they're just taking the 20 gigabyte 3080 they were planning to launch and bumping up the CUDA core count a little bit. That, that's all this really is in effect. And so I expect this to perform, I mean, honestly, guys, like 3 to 6% better 
than the 3080, but of course at higher resolutions it will have enough VRAM. And at $1,000, yep, they will just position this right next to the 6900 XT, say it's the same performance but gives you more memory for the same price. Uh, neglecting that it often probably loses and uses significantly more energy. But again, you know, I guess at least it does have better ray tracing than the 6900 XT in all reality. So I guess this is it. This is what NVIDIA is planning to do then most likely. All right, back to the show. <laughs> Shifty McHacks writes in, oh, uh, before we move on though, I oh, guess, yeah. is there anything you have to say about the 3060 Ti? I mean, at the end of the day, it looks like it will probably be you know, to cut down 3070 as expected, I think for 399, it's going to be a 2080 super. It's going to, it's probably going to, it's going to be a direct competitor to the 12 gigabyte 6700 XT. I mean, we'll see if it's a direct competitor to a 12 gigabyte 6700 XT at the same price. I think it's the worst product. That, that's, that's the most I can yeah. say, though. All right, Shifty McHacks writes in and says, is there room for a Titan launch in the 3000 series? And if so, how much extra performance can we expect from a Titan over the 3090? Is it more likely that NVIDIA enables Titan features on the 3090 in response to the 6900 XT? No, I don't think so. Um, to better position themselves against it. So yeah, so, I mean, this is a question I swear we get every broken silicon, by the way. What would yeah. the Titan be? Simple. The Titan would be either 24 or 48 gigabytes. They were, you know, the the uh, quadro versions of Ampere use normal GDR6 and use less energy. So they probably just take the A6000 or, and put GDR6X on it instead of GDR6. What you would get and maybe try to overclock the memory a little more than the 3090. At the end of the day, the most you're probably getting is 5% more performance, 10 max. Although again, it's, it's going to be 5% more performance than the 3090 while having... The same amount of... I almost wonder if they would just still just give it 24 gigabytes, but then give it professional driver support. I mean, I guess they could go with something like that, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I just don't really Remember, think I told you this. I've had multiple sources say that they've always been wanting a 16 gigabyte 2080 Super or a 22 gigabyte 2080 Ti, that they don't need top performance. They just want more than 16 gigabytes of RAM and a powerful gaming card for developers. Oh, I mean, yeah, you have told me that. And I guess I guess it would have... Uh, the 3090 uh, some fills niche. that role. Yeah. You know, not professional drivers, but professional levels of VRAM, not quite the top die. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I just don't think a Titan seems that, that necessary this generation. I mean, I guess they could launch something, but... Again, you know, I think it makes sense to definitively keep the performance crown to a certain degree and fill that niche. But, and, and I know that there are multiple sources, I mean, look, multiple sources have told me that they're considering launching one. But to answer the question, that's what it would be. Yeah. Either the same amount of RAM as a 3090 or double, depending on how much they want to charge. Although, again, I, I wonder too, because I think it, I lean kind of towards 24 gigabytes, to be honest, because otherwise they're just giving you like a quadro. With <laughs> 48 gigabytes except it's GDR6X. Um, and then just, you know, the full die and less efficient than the uh, Quadro cards. So again, 5% better, 3090. That, that's all it would really be with yeah. professional driver support or semi-professional. Um, okay, so story number six. Finally, to some console coverage here. So Xbox Series X reviews drop. Upgrading the Xbox One is kind of my <laughs> summary of it. Now, what's worth mentioning is when this podcast comes out, it will be to patrons the day the Xbox Series 
launches to customers and like a day later probably for the free feeds. Um, but I think that's okay. You know, the reviews are already out for the Xbox and for the PlayStation 5. And I don't think we're going to have a full picture of how next-gen gaming performance stacks up until the weekend. And, well, my next guest is going to be all just one big discussion about Xbox and PlayStation. So I think it's okay we just kind of do the initial discussion now. I guess here I am quoting, I believe, from TechSpot on the Xbox Series X, kind of like what I thought was the better summary. Uh, The Xbox Series X is Microsoft's bet on the future. It's an insanely powerful system that, once the company's internal teams begin to showcase its power, could wow the gaming world. You'd think there would be more to say on performance, but there isn't, and that is due to a lack of launch titles. This is the part of the review where amazingly beautiful new open-world titles might be discussed. Unfortunately, that game doesn't exist for the Series X at launch. There's no question this is a powerful console, but currently the hardware is currently underutilized. For example, even the promise of faster load times remains unproven much of the time as well. Loading from game launch to gameplay in Gears of War 5 for our new campaign for our testing still took well over a minute, and Watch Dogs Legion, well unoptimized, took a bit less time. These are better results than an Xbox One X, of course, but not the instant play accessibility that was suggested. Hopefully, games that are built with next-gen in mind will boast load times that feel next-gen. The Xbox Series X is Microsoft's bet on the future, an insanely powerful system. That w- oh, I'm repeating the beginning of where I put it. All right, so there we go. But yeah, so that's my kind of summary uh, that I pulled from review one review that I thought did a good job. And this is kind of touching on a running theme you'll see with what I'll say about the PlayStation 5 as well, is that at the moment, they're not fully utilized. Um, I don't know, Dan, you had time to read up on Xbox Series X stuff. What would you say about that and the Series S about its reviews so far? And remember, you know, this is kind of before we know everything, but uh, kind of talking about it as of what we know around launch day. I mean, yeah, in some ways, I don't think there's too much to say at like the review says. The Xbox Series X really isn't launching with that many games. And a lot of the- Next-gen games. Yeah, yeah, sorry, a lot of next-gen games. And uh, the last-gen games that are running on it don't fully utilize, like, the storage system, uh, like, hopefully... Which surprises me. Yeah, it does. It's the same with the PlayStation 5, but that's the next story, which is kind of disappointing and almost, like, perplexing to me, because I I swear they both advertised they would. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's super disappointing. Like, what did you say? Watch Dogs Legions gets barely less it, it lo- load time than the xbox one x that's that's yeah sucks. although i think that's the last gen version they were running on it for some reason at least i hope so and i know gears 5 is something they're advertising because it has a 4k 120 mode but again it takes a minute to load the campaign according to this reviewer's test it's just kind of eh. yeah I, and i it's like look listen it looks like it's a well-built console with uh really strong components but there's not too much to talk about yet until some actual next-gen games start coming out on it. Which is the unfortunate thing. Like, we considered holding this review, I mean, this episode of Broken Silicon until more info came out, but I, I just don't think we'll have a full picture until next week because there, there, I mean, like, there's some early stuff. Like, we see Spider-Man footage. We've seen some Watch Dogs Legions footage on the Series X, but I'm not seeing the frame time graphs from anyone on these next-gen versions of third-party games. And so all I can say is, on the next-gen versions of games, both consoles seem around around the 2080 Ti, kind of. But at the moment, all we have is a lot of last-gen benchmarks, and the games take a minute to load. And 
Eh. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good uh, way to put it, I think. Eh. You know, one, one of my big takeaways, and you know, I titled this Upgrading the Xbox One, is when I look at the Xbox Series X, I think there was this argument made that this is for people, and I think this is how Microsoft's obviously been advertising it, trying to get people to move back from PC gaming to Xbox, you know? And, well, I think that's a decent argument. Until we have a mountain of next-gen games benchmarked, all I can say is, well, the best place to play older games in backwards compatibility is still PC. So if you're a PC gamer, you can still play all the same games on Series X, and it apparently it th- takes a minute to load them still, or thirty seconds to a minute in backwards compatibility mode. Yeah, I mean overall, it's the it, yeah. If the argument is trying to get people from PC back to Xbox, I mean they currently don't have a super compelling argument. Maybe as more games start coming out, they will. And I I don't doubt that the Series X is going to start looking better as games that leverage its hardware better uh, better start coming out. But there just really aren't that many of them yet. And like, as you say, upgrading the Xbox one, the it's clear that Microsoft's strategy is more of a rolling updates type strategy where this isn't a super consoles as a service. Yeah. And I think we're going to see an Xbox Series X two or Xbox Series X 2023 and two in 2023. You would suggest if that's the name. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying, I think another one is going to come out. Two years is probably a, a bit early, uh, but three I to four. I wouldn't rule it out, you know. <laughs> I, I I would expect three to four, we'll see another one come out. And three to four years after that, we'll see another one. That's what I think Microsoft is trying to do. Yeah, and, and you know, and bear with us a little bit. We're going to transition to the PlayStation 5 review summary because we have a story number eight is a smorgasbord of like 10 links, just kind of summarizing little things we noticed about the console so far. Um, but yeah, I do want to add early though. One of the links is just kind of like this: an upgraded Xbox One. I mean, it literally uses the same 1080p UI. Yeah, like it's not, and it uses effectively the same controller. So it's it's really just a better Xbox One. When you consider, I don't have any benchmarks of you know. I'm just saying that, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. Bullethead writes in and says, how much customer confusion do you think the Xbox Series XS naming scheme is going to cause this holiday season, <laughs> given how the exciting consoles all have Xbox in the letter S or X and X in their name, including Xbox One X? Um, honestly, I think, didn't we see Xbox One X sales spike when they announced pre-orders for the Series X? So there's already <laughs> clearly some confusion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting question because Clearly, like when we're talking about it on the podcast, I accidentally say the wrong thing all the time. <laughs> but um, and I'm I'm trying to be diligent and not doing that. But it's a bad naming scheme. Um, I, I I'm always curious to see how bad this confusion is because I feel like if you're spending five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars, you should know the product you're buying. But I don't know, clearly, some people don't. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, you think you'd look and double check the name. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, when it comes to confusion, I, I would just say the mom and dad shopper confusion is the thing I would worry about most. So you walk into a Best Buy, on, you know, around Thanksgiving to get maybe an Xbox for your kid or to get a console for your kid. And you look and it's like, if you were to walk up to the Xbox booth, it uses the same controller and UI as the one your kid might already have. And they might go, wait, is this, is this the next gen console? 
or they like wanted. Whereas to, Sony went overboard, making sure it looked different. <laughs> yeah, where they or they might see. Uh, well, and I don't know if there's going to be in-store availability for any of these this year. But, Probably not. I think Sony's literally mandated that you have to pre-order it. But like, I don't know. You go into the parents go into the store looking to buy the Series X for their kid, and they see the S, and they're like, "That's what they wanted, right?" And then buy it. But yeah, this one. Well, it, that that's. I just think the confusion comes down to. Does it look like a next gen console? Is there this is the same controller and UI? So if you walked into a Best Buy, I know our parents wouldn't tell. Yeah, that's true. All right, so let us move on to the summary then of the PlayStation reviews. PlayStation 5's reviews drop, and then my one phrase like sentence summary, an actually next gen console, but one that is definitely green. All right, and quoting here from Engadget. Compared to the Xbox Series X, the PlayStation 5 stands out with a far stronger launch lineup and a more innovative controller. But Sony has always been better at nabbing enticing exclusives and features at launch. Having said that, on the other hand, Xbox Game Pass is something Microsoft can brag about. Sony is trying to imitate Game Pass with its PlayStation Plus collection of free games, which now gives you access to popular PlayStation titles for free. But while those games are great, they include plenty of titles like God of War and Uncharted 4 that many PlayStation fans likely already own. Although I guess if you miss those, it's a 20 exclusives you probably missed at launch. Um, in conclusion, with the PS5, Sony has managed to deliver a truly next-generation console, even if it went a bit overboard on the design. Well, it's funny, I, I literally said overboard on the design earlier without even reading this yet. <laughs> its controller is genuinely innovative, and it actually has a bunch of new games you want to play. But I won't say that Sony has won the next-gen war just yet. Maybe they just won the launch battle. Yeah, I mean, and for the PS5, the thing that I'm actually really excited about now is to use the controller. Um, because I, I know some of the media and stuff I've read about the controller, like they're really pushing the next-gen features like the haptic feedback and adaptive triggers. And people are just like, well, I don't know. That's That sounds kind of gimmicky to me. But it's interesting that pretty much every reviewer is saying, no, this is a really, really cool controller. So I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, and that's always something that's bothered me too. Like, just give me the same controller again. And it's like, well, why don't you just not buy a new console? Like, like I, like, I don't understand this idea. Like, like, just game on PC if you want the same thing and then get stronger hardware over time. But when you have a new console generation, what, this is an opportunity to bring out new features. I mean... And it's really annoying to me because I see so many people go, oh, you know, games are the same. They've been the same. Or then you'll have other people go, oh, I can't even tell the difference between 1080p and 4K. But then a lot of these same people say, don't change the controller. It's like, well, so then do you want anything to change? Like you're complaining about graphics and gameplay, but then like a chance to actually bring out new interface features or audio features. It's like, isn't that what you should be begging for then if you think nothing else is getting better? And to be honest, I think those types of things are a lot more exciting than a game that the same game running at 4K instead of 1440p. <laughs> I think an yeah, actual I mean, I couldn't new agree more. is more interesting. Um, I mean, like, yeah, I have a Radeon 7. And like I said, I just turned down the Galactic Miner game to like 1800p. And I'm like, fine, same <laughs> game, dude. Like, I don't need to immediately, I'm probably going to skip Big Navi because I'm perfectly happy with the level of graphics that I have now, which look pretty insane most of the time, honestly. They look pretty good. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what else I have to say about the console right now other than I've also heard that it is truly massive. 
Oh, yeah. It's gigantic. So I guess let's move into this. I'll put another timestamp here for uh, story number eight. And story number eight, I just titled A Smorgasbord of Things Moore's Law is Dead Notice from Early Coverage. So this is just like I put a separate document together kind of going through the good and the bad of things I noticed from both consoles, kind of get into more of a comparison discussion instead of summarizing each console individually first. I actually focused on the bad in these notes more because I don't think there's that much to say about the good because I think both consoles are quiet. They work well. They run games better than last gen. I don't think there's that much to say. They do work. I think that a lot of the criticisms of the consoles right now is nitpicking compared to last gen where there were much bigger problems at launch, right? <laughs> which, I've, which it's funny because I think people have just gotten so used to where we are now I think people forget, like, I saw one review, I believe, that was titled, like, what was it? It was like something like the PS4 promised greatness awaits, and then the PS5 is like, well, it actually works perfectly at launch. Like, the thing, a lot of things we're about to talk about are things that'll probably not affect a lot of people. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Listen, like, both consoles have some of the best backwards compatibility you've ever seen in a console. I would like, argue the best it's been in any generation, unless you're talking about how many generations back they support. Because like it wasn't the norm to support backwards compatibility with better graphics before, which, and this somewhat surprises me, both consoles, most games run significantly better, actually. Yeah, and I, I, I don't like that the PS5 can't run PS3 games. That is weird. Hopefully they'll be able to fix that at some well, point. Hopefully there's enough competition that they stop dragging their feet at some features. Yeah, and hopefully that's fixed at some point. I doubt it will be, but I don't know. You can always hope, I guess. <laughs> As I've told you, it's not a priority from them last time I talked to anyone yeah. connected to Sony, but I hope that they can do it when they want to. They just like, but go on. But uh, PS4 backwards compatibility, despite the fact that people keep complaining about it, seems to work pretty much universally. And most games, it gets a pretty decent performance uplift. Well, yeah, and the fact that Sony's messaging on backwards compatibility was so bizarre like and weird and inconsistent that I was just kind of... I had low expectations because I was like, I don't understand what they're doing anymore. Like, from what I saw, I think this was... NX Gamer said this, Digital Foundry said this, Multiple Reviews said this. Everyone seemed like the word... like the, the term really is pleasantly surprised that almost every PS4 game you put in runs at a higher resolution or frame rate like across the board. And I, I I was just like, I don't know, maybe it won't run better. I don't no idea what's going on based on Sony's messaging. Yeah, that, that was some weird messaging. Like they pretty much have complete backwards compatibility, but for some, uh, yes. but for some reason, like the first time they said it, the, it didn't they say like it has a backwards compatibility for a hundred games? Like, like that, they that, said, we can confirm for the top 100 games. And maybe, it's like, what are you doing? Maybe they just weren't sure at first. So that's what they ran with. But yeah, Sony's messaging with that we, was bizarre. I think something some people have pointed out is how much, um, what you could almost say, we, we esque clutter of what is, what do you, what are they, what it was it called? Uh, like bargain bin games that used to be, remember the bargain bins of Wii get five dollar Wii games, yeah. Like that, the, like like the PlayStation Store is a lot of games like that. So I I think that was just Sony saying, look, let's be honest. There's like three thousand indie games from these tiny developers, and half of them suck. We can't promise those ones will work because we're not testing them. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it could be that. Um, and if you really love that one game and you were the only person that bought it, maybe that doesn't work. Ro- on- what is it? Ride to Redemption or what was that game? <laughs> Ride to Hell what? Redemption. Yeah, that one. Like they can't promise that one works. Of course, I don't know if that was on PS4. Or if it I was think PS3. that was a PS3 game, but certainly looked like one, whether so, it wasn't. Certainly looked like a PS2 game. If you're into bad video games, play Ride to Hell, though. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, if there's that one, there's probably some indie games that just don't port well uh, or just don't work well in the backwards compatibility mode. And I don't know. Sucks for the few people that like it, like that game. But I don't know. But again, as far as I've seen from reviews, there's no game they've tested that didn't work. Yeah, except for like a weird list of games Sony put out that they said don't work unless those actually do work and they just don't work. Not officially. Like what I saw is that a thing just pops up on screen, like not officially supported and most of them still ran fine at higher resolutions and frame rates. So, yeah, so both of those are good, but I think. But broadly, what we're saying is both of these consoles, for what they are, for the what they are at launch, they're really good consoles. So uh, I just think people are much more critical now because it's funny how it's like some reviewers again are like talk like being really specific about little things, but then other reviewers are like, "Dude, compared to any other console launch, these things work way better out of the box than we've ever seen." And it's like I'm not. I, I, I can't say it without sounding like a dick, kind of, but it's like we've got uh, consumers have gotten way, way more into th- products being consumer friendly to a fact to a point where we're criticizing products that we would have never criticized 10 or 15 years ago. Like the fact that Sony got a bunch of backlash for having a timed exclusive. That was the norm on the P- uh, especially on the 360 during the PS 360 generation. <laughs> Yeah, there was like, yeah, I mean, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like that, like the, it's, but let me start going through some of these notes I have here. And I guess it's kind of in an order. Um, let me see here. So the, the, the backwards compatibility thing is funny because like, because the original Xbox one was so underpowered, there are still some games that never got a patch or Xbox one X. And so they just run in 900p still. Now they all run at the capped frame rate, but unfortunately you'll still find Xbox One backwards compatibility games that are 720p 30 frames a second. <laughs> Boy, is it a smooth 30 frames a second. But that but then the, the, there's also similar things with the PS4. So they showed Digital Foundry showed both it was funny, Hitman, I think 2 on or so they they showed yeah, on the PS4 and the Xbox Series X or PS5, Xbox Series X. It's like, well, the PlayStation 4 Pro was in 1440p, and it runs at a deadlocked 60. Literally no jitter at all, just the most stable frames ever. And the, now, the other one's in 4K on the Xbox Series X, but it gets frame drops. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and, the, and you're just going to find things back and forth, like the Sekiro had a more stable frame rate on the PlayStation 5 than on the Series X, but it had checkerboarding. Having said that, what I thought was fascinating is according to Digital Foundry, the checkerboarding was indistinguishable from real 800p. Which I just highlight that because I'm like, maybe that's what AMD is doing to combat DLSS. At least I hope so. Yeah, and I I just think you'll see weird stuff like this with uh, certain games on both consoles because, once again, like we've said, this is they're actually trying to uh, have backwards compatibility perform better than it did on the PS4 or uh, Xbox One. So maybe there are just going to be some weird quirks where 
they didn't think to optimize the game so it either runs worse or it runs at the same settings as it did on the PS4 Pro or Xbox One. Well, what's funny too is like if you have disc versions of games, you can put them in and then not patch it. And sometimes they run better on the next gen consoles now. The most extreme example I saw, well, first of all, there's Assassin's Creed Unity because there's a lot of games that launched without capped frame rates and they capped them in a patch. But now the digital version is permanently patched. So, So the disc version of The Last Guardian goes from running like, I think it switches to like, it's from like sub 4K 30 to 4K 60 if you have the disc version of The Last Guardian. (laughs) That's awesome. And so that makes you realize like, and then of course games like Killzone Shadowfall just run because it had the option always to uncap the frame rate. Mm -hmm. Should I would argue should have always been an option that you can just play Shadowfall in the PS4 Pro version locked 4K 60. Yeah, I mean, and we're just picking a bunch of like weird examples of performance. And I don't know, I think maybe over time, we're just going to find more and more weird quirks with the backwards compatibility on both consoles. But, you know, it's good that they have them to begin with. I know that that was one of the things that sucked about the PS4 is that it wasn't backwards compatible to the PS3, which this also isn't backwards compatible to the PS3, which is annoying. But yeah, and so let me go through the this list of notables I have just to make sure I get through them. So I, I just mentioned the thing with like some backwards compatibility games running better on PS5, some better on Xbox One, just because of, I mean, Xbox Series X, God, these names, uh, because the backwards compatibility is tied to whatever frame rates and resolutions they capped it at in the previous gen. So sometimes that'll benefit Sony, sometimes that'll benefit Microsoft. But again, surprisingly to me, Everything runs way better than before, which is pretty cool. Actually, uh, another thing pointed out by um, NX Gamer, who's the next guest, was that the Assassin's Creed Unity performance was kind of shaky on PS5, but it's because it's probably running in backwards compatibility forced mode, meaning Mm. it's not running at 2.2 gigahertz to boost frame rates. And it's still got double the frame rate running at (laughs) original PS4, just showing you the IPC increase of like Zen 2 and (laughs) <laughs> and it turns off hyper-threading as well, and it does it. So just showing you the IPC increase of RDNA 2 and uh, Zen 2 over the original PS4. So I think that's funny that even running at like 800 megahertz, it's doubling performance over. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, uh, not all games on the Xbox support quick resume. And so this is another thing. I'm seeing a lot of misleading things shared about loading times. Again, unfortunately, as of the time of this coming out, we're not going to have all of the next-gen loading times and frame rate comparisons. But what I did see is that some games on Xbox support quick resume, some games don't. And, I, and, and all last-gen games seem to... They load faster than current-gen, you know, but they... Uh, I'm sorry, than if you ran it on a last-gen console. But a lot of people are sharing Xbox loads games faster than PlayStation 5. Guys... All of those headlines are showing one-minute load times for backwards compatibility titles, which I don't think anyone should be bragging about one-minute load times. That is not what Microsoft said their velocity architecture would do with backwards <laughs> compatibility, nor what Sony said. Yeah, but this which is, is just a disappointment for both of them. Yeah, this is bad for both of them. And so congrats, you loaded three sec- like five seconds faster in a one-minute load time. Yeah, like hopefully this is. That issue is ameliorated at some point. Once again, I doubt it will be, but hopefully it is. I kind of doubt it will be for both of them as well. (laughs) (laughs) But you can hope. But it's next-gen titles, I think, is what we can say now is where you get the faster load times. Yeah, I guess so. This idea that it would just 
again, it helps. But I, what weirds me out about seeing one minute load times is I don't know of any games on PC that I own that take a minute to load. None. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's causing that. I, I don't know. And I remember Microsoft advertising their state of decay to load time thing, and it loads in the same amount of time as my Gen 4 SSD on my PC. So I'm like, all right, so the velocity architecture basically just just does more with less. But then why does State of Decay 2 load fast without, like, what's going on with this last-gen console file system, you know, where, I don't know, it's just completely built only for hard drives, I guess is what you say. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess so. And I didn't understand the whole quick resume advantage, really, except maybe with some last-gen games, because when I saw quick resume, it always took about 10 seconds. And uh, I don't know. Spider-Man Miles Morales loads in five. So it cold boots next-gen PlayStation 5 games quicker than Quick Resume. Yeah, which... So again, I I don't actually get the whole Quick Resume thing when you can cold boot games faster than Quick Resume on the PlayStation 5. Having said that, you can't do that with last-gen games. (laughs) No, So I guess if the last-gen game supports Quick Resume, which some of them don't, (laughs) that is an advantage in a handful of games. All right, this is Tom jumping in again from the future with an update on load times. I do believe I've scraped together enough information to give you guys an indication of what's going to be shown in a few days with next-gen comparisons. All right, again, just to be clear, the sensationalized headlines you've been seeing are just last-gen games that, in my opinion, aren't loading as fast as we were led on to believe by either the Xbox Series X or the PlayStation 5. You know, 30 to 60-second load times is slower than, I believe, most of those games on PC. If you already have a decent gaming PC, it should load better than backwards compatibility games on Xbox or PlayStation. That is unless, of course, they are patched to take advantage of the next-gen SSDs, which I think some of them are. But anyways... Let's move on. So there are links in the description that you'll want to check out. But basically, my conclusion comes to this. You know, first of all, I have State of Decay 2 on PC, and my NVMe SSD loads that game in about 10 to 11 seconds. It's about the same amount of time that the Xbox Series consoles loaded State of Decay 2 in the trailers they were sharing, showing off the quote-unquote velocity architecture. And then also, we have a link in the description for Assassin's Creed Valhalla loading in 17 seconds on the Xbox Series X. Well, look, guys, I've reached out to people in my Discord to benchmark loading Assassin's Creed Valhalla. The people that got back to me just have Gen 3 NVMe drives. These are your standard NVMe drives. These aren't even the newest ones. And what I got is that they were all loading in about 14 to 18 seconds. So I have a data point from State of Decay 2. I have a data point from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I'm saying that all evidence suggests the Xbox Series X loads as fast as an NVMe SSD in a gaming PC. Now, if I'm wrong, I'll say it, but that's what it's looking like. That if it is faster than loading on PC, it won't be significantly faster. In the meantime, we know that Miles Morales loads in about five seconds, I believe, on the PS5. I actually don't have the exact number in front of me. But then we also have another link in the description showing Devil May Cry 5 loading in about two to three seconds on PS5 while taking, I believe, over 12 seconds on PC. So let's just call it four to six times faster loading on the PS5 versus a PC. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? 
The Xbox Series X and every game I've tested loads around as fast as a NVMe drive powered PC. And the PlayStation 5 in both an exclusive that's not on PC, but then also in this Devil May Cry 5 demo loads four to six times faster than PC. So that's that. The PS5 should load four times faster than the Xbox Series X, at least sometimes based on what I'm seeing. Again, don't take this as exact numbers, but I just had to add this to the podcast after seeing the absurdly misleading information being thrown around by fanboys about load times of these consoles. Nothing else to really say. There's another link in the description showing Tech Power Up Devil May Cry 5 benchmarks. Uh, Remember, when you look at those, the last edition of Devil May Cry 5 supposedly doesn't look as good as the next-gen... Uh, Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition coming to Xbox Series X and that just came out on PS5. And as far as we know, the PS5 is running it mostly capped at 60 frames, though there are dips sometimes. I would just say it's, again, pretty clear the Xbox Series X and PS5 should be around. And again, it's around because they're consoles. It's never going to be exact. Around 2080 to 2080 Ti performance, depending on the game. All right, everybody, back to the show. Um, and then, of course, the Xbox, it literally uses the Xbox One X UI in 1080p, which I just think is somewhat absurd. Like, I don't know why you can't. Yeah, and I haven't used an Xbox One in a while, so maybe they've updated the UI. It's not like that was some It's, in, it's amazing, in 1080p still. Yeah, I know. And it's, I'm just saying it's not like that was some amazing UI that you can't get any better than, but I don't know. Well, again, I heard that they kind of were forced to not do anything radical with the UI because COVID really slowed down their progress. Oh. So they just modified the original one. I've also heard that because of the segmented memory, it's kind of running out of RAM. And it does, remember, it actually stores a kernel. It's actually running the UI in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, so that takes up memory and that if it runs it in 4K, they're worried it'll use up too much RAM. It already uses up three and a half gigabytes of memory, so they don't want it to use any more than that. Yeah, oh, that makes sense, I guess. Not ideal. Next gen console in 1080p. <laughs> this makes sense to me. Um, and then, and then there were just a bunch of little weird things. Again, I think for any normal console launch, this would be nitpicking, and it's completely patchable. These are things worth pointing out. Um, I mean, we already mentioned the weird last gen compatibility thing with the PS5. Um, the fact that last gen games seem to load 10% slower than the Series X's last gen games, although again, they're both taking about a minute, so it's not like whatever. Um, and then also, what else was it here? Oh, yeah, they put 8K on the box for the PS5, but they haven't patched it to support 8K screens yet. I mean, I guess. Why? I, I don't know why they advertise it if it's, it doesn't have it at lunch. I guess no one has an 8K screen. So it won't affect It's worth anyone. mentioning, though, if you technically, you know, I give the Xbox shit for having a 1080p UI. Technically, the PlayStation 5 UI doesn't support 8K right now or 8K, for whatever reason, even though it has a 2.1 cable shipping with it. It has a 2.1 port, guys. I don't know. Hey, Tommy, you're jumping in with yet another quick update. Indeed, Sony confirmed that 8K support on the PS5 is limited to a few key things, it says, and that they're going to patch in. Further AK support later. So again, I think that's just one of those early launch oddities that in effect will not really affect anyone. But it's good to know that that's confirmed. They will patch it. Hopefully they also patch in 1440p support as well. And then, of course, it doesn't support 1440p, which at that, I don't know, you know, at the end of the day, I actually don't see that as a huge issue. And I think it's kind of overblown. Because what, what, what would end up happening is you have to select 1080p and then it will run it in 4K and super scale it or super sample it down to 1080p. 
mm-hmm. right? But then stri- put it on a 1440p screen. That should still look super smooth. Yeah, and... I, I mean, you're talking about 4K basically being scaled down to 1080p and back up to 1440p. Should it natively support 1440p? I think so. But at the end of the day, I don't really see it as a long-term or... I, I don't know. I'm being honest. I don't... And I've long said, if you want to play next-gen consoles, use a 4K s- screen. Like, I said it over and over, guys. So, yeah. from my perspective, it's something I never really thought about. But And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that many people getting a PS5 have a 1440p screen. See, this is... You, have to, you forget that most of our listeners are PC gamers predominantly, including us. You know, we mostly game on PC. Tonight, we'll be playing... That Galactic Mining game on PC. Again, yesterday we played State of Decay 2. We 90% of the time are gaming on PC, but most of the people buying the PS5 are using a big screen TV in 1080p or 4K. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what they have to do to test it. I, I think one thing also worth pointing out is no Tempest audio through speakers at launch, which I think is a little ridiculous. I mean, yeah, that was a big feature they were advertising. And then the other notes I have here, just to kind of get through the rest of this talk, which I think we're kind of mentioned most of it, is uh, both consoles are quiet. Apparently, the PS5 is entirely silent. Apparently, and this surprised me just because I didn't hear about it, the PS5's SDR to HDR mapping is really, really good. Like auto-adding HDR to mm-hmm. to other games. Xbox also has some version of this, I believe. And then also, again, the DualSense. We already talked about the DualSense, though. Apparently, DualSense is, like, again, I look, I'm just, I, I haven't touched it, guys, so I can't say, but I'm just summarizing the news. Most reviewers have said that's, like, the best controller made. I mean, yeah, and I, once again, I'm very excited. Which I'm surprised, because I, I am always surprised when people talk about controllers. I never really cared that much. Yeah, I mean, I like the play, I, I like the DualShock uh, layout, and the DualSense, I it seems to be their best, the best iteration they've had so far. But uh, yeah, so, oh, and then power usage. And again, I, I just think it's funny to bring this up because if this was one month ago, this would have been breaking news that the PlayStation 5 uses 200 watts and it's powering a full, you know, next-gen console in the ballpark of a 2080 Ti. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, if we would have known this, some, there it is. There are a lot of people saying, oh, but is it going to use 300 watts? Nope. <laughs> nope. The people who talked about, you know, oh, it's going to use a ton of energy. Oh, 2.2 gigahertz is last minute overclocking. No, RDNA 2 is just that efficient, guys. Yeah. Uh, and one note on that. In the, which review? I believe it was the Engadget review for the PlayStation 5. I do want to bring up this 2080 Ti thing, too. Dude, they show, they tried to compare ray tracing performance in Spider-Man to Watch Dogs Legion on PC on a $3,000 3090. I don't know. I thought the I thought they looked about the same in quality, and it was clear the 3090 was running with ray tracing at 30 frames a second. So I again, I think we already brought that up, but I don't see the evidence RDNA 2 is bad at ray tracing. Um, I mean, yeah, that's Relative true. Relative to Ampere. It's probably going to be worse, but I'm not seeing this, you know, I, whatever. I, the problem is it's also it's a com- Ubisoft game, so who knows how optimized it is. But yeah, They're not great at optimizing games. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, I don't think we'll know that until we see reviews, which we'll see reviews soon anyways. So I don't, at a certain point, I don't think speculating on it is really worth it. I mean, I, I know they tried to by comparing it to Miles Morales, but that's also a different game. So Right. So, 
Yeah, and at the end of the day, we'll have the full analysis of next-gen games, which, again, this frustrates me a little bit how much people are just talking about the last-gen performance. It's like, I hope no one's buying these consoles for last-gen performance. Backwards compatibility is nice, and I hope Sony and Microsoft patch as many games as possible to go to 4K60 modes and blah, 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 and faster loading times. But... You buy a next-gen console for next-gen experiences and games. Otherwise, you already own a PC. And based on what we've seen, one-minute load times for Gears of War 5, it's like 10-second load times on my PC, guys. So I would recommend, <laughs> if you're getting this to play last-gen games, you don't get this to do that. That's not why you buy a console. You buy a next-gen console for a next-gen experience or their exclusives. Yeah, you know, I'll... Uh... More And there's always this talk every time a new console launches is talking about backwards compatibility, but I really feel like that was the predominant discussion this time to a weird degree. I think it's just because people don't have anything else to talk about and yeah. Microsoft's kind of advertising it as their biggest feature, which again, I want to be clear. I'm pleasantly surprised at how well the PS5's backwards compatibility worked just because their messaging was so weird. I didn't know what to expect. But I'm also disappointed in the Xbox backwards compatibility performance. I mean, they're they're literally advertising Gears of War 5 as this big thing that it has its load times are way worse than my PC, guys. Yeah. You don't buy these if you again, uh, from what I'm seeing, just just keep gaming on PC to play your current games. Get a next gen console for next gen features and games. Yeah. All right, Amiable Chef writes in and says, Do you know whether Sony will at least throw cross saves between PS titles that they bring to PC? Oh, I doubt it. There's some freaking PS4 games that they're patching that don't transfer saves, so knowing them, no. And to be honest, the cross-save thing is really up to the developer. GTA V had cross-saves between did, consoles. Oh, yeah, it did. I forgot about that. And it's a, a pretty uncommon feature. And so did Borderlands feature. too, I believe. Yeah, Border- I think... Um, One of the Borderlands did, or something. I, I know some games feature it, but it, it is a relatively, like niche thing so like you bought this on two different platforms and you want to i mean i guess i mean i think it should i think it's i mean i remember seeing days gone gets 4k 60 patch for ps5 and supports your last save and i was like oh good it supports the save i wouldn't have played it if you made me make a new save <laughs> and, no and i was just saying i like, guess i would hope so i guess for devs bringing titles between uh saves com- making them compatible d- between different uh different devices i don't know that does kind of promote buying their game two times so maybe devs should be uh should want to do that (laughs) anyways though yeah i think it's mostly up to the devs to use the same save system between devices really more so than it is microsoft or sony or any pc you know marketplace to enforce that uh d dog wr83 writes in do you think sony should will add 1440p support to the ps5 i think they should um, will they? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they might. I honestly don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, it would be good if they did it. You know, but I they, don't their think answer they... kind of suggested they won't. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think Sony sees it as a necessary investment. Um, I feel like this is a huge oversight by them. I think the truth is this will not affect ninety percent of PlayStation gamers. Yeah, I agree. People have to understand, I I keep trying to convey this to people. 1440p is a temporary resolution. And I talked about this with the OEM, you know, laptop guy, who's a recent guest. 
why don't you have more 1440p laptops? He said, the standard's 1080p or 4K, and it's going to be. 1440p is here because that's what they can make for the time being. But once 4K is standard and you have things strong enough to run it at 120, don't expect a lot of 1440p for very long because they're just going to make, you know, 500 hertz 1080p or 120 hertz 4K. <laughs> yeah, it's just a it's just a, a resolution that resonates for people in the DIY market and not that much, not really that much else. We're not saying we agree with that, yeah. but that is the truth. Yeah, that's the reality. And uh, listen, I hope they bring 1440p support to it, obviously. He goes, $600 minimum for a 120 hertz TV is pretty steep after buying a new console. Well, yeah, you know, HDR TVs were really expensive when they patched HDR into the PS4 and Xbox One. <laughs> like, I, yeah. honestly, that is my answer to that. How expensive were HDR TVs in like 2017? My God. Very. <laughs> Yeah, and that was so I don't know, right? You know, but what I would say is I don't think 120 hertz TVs are that rare, guys. They seem to all be supporting it pretty much now. Yeah, 120 hertz and 4K is becoming more common and cheaper every year. And they almost all seem to have a 1080p 120 hertz mode too. Yeah. Which I don't think long term there's going to be a lot of 4K 120 hertz games on console. Could I hope I'm wrong, but I doubt it. Most of them are probably going to render the game in 1080p or something. Yeah, or like and then upscale 18, to 4K, or like 1800p, maybe. Hopefully, it depends on the game. Yeah, you know? like Rainbow Six Siege apparently has a 120 hertz 4K mode for both consoles. Yeah, I mean, not also, that hard to run of a game. It's also like what a five year old game, I think. Yeah. All right, J Bear 98 writes in. Hi Tom, what do you think about Digital Foundry saying the PS5 is about going to surprise people, since they are channel related to graphics and performance? It's well, yeah, they they mean in performance. I think it just means, what do you expect? I think they say that because, for some reason, the narrative has been that these consoles have a big difference in performance, despite the only thing the Xbox having as an advantage is 18% more teraflops, which is one stat. Yeah. (laughs) And then you bring up bandwidth, but it's segmented memory. They're going to have to pull away from the high bandwidth pool for the system memory. Yeah, I... uh... I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the same, or roughly the same performance, which again, this comes out before all of the comparisons or it could come out when the comparisons drop. So I'm not expecting like the PS5 to crush it or anything or a vice versa. I, I just don't expect them to be very different on launch day and performance. I mean, it's, yeah, just we've beaten this conversation to death in the past, but. Oh, oh and let me say, when I say very different, hey guys. A 5 to 10% resolution difference sometimes in dynamic 4K is not a big difference. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess we're saying two weeks from now when Digital Foundry has a bunch of comparison videos out and you point to... Oh, it won't be two weeks. It'll probably be right after this podcast comes out. Sorry, I should say two weeks from now when I'm on the podcast again. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> when Digital Foundry has a bunch of uh, videos out and Cyberpunk 2070... Well, not Cyberpunk, and... uh Valhalla runs 5% higher resolution and 4K dynamic resolution on the Xbox Series X. Don't say, see, it's weaker. Look how much weaker the PS5 is. It's the weakest console ever. No, it's a small difference. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's all we can really say at launch. I expect next-gen games to be about the same, which is kind of what I always expected. Yeah, There's both advantages and performance with both consoles, you know, PlayStation 5 has a superior, at least per compute unit, geometry engine. The Xbox has more teraflops, you know, but that's really all you can say. Yeah. 
Prime Tech writes in and goes, so I work in the electronics industry, printed circuit boards. Uh, I work on prototypes and getting projects off the ground and ready for production. That's pretty cool. I recently left a comment on a big YouTube channel disagreeing with a comment the host made on the video. I then go on explaining how it actually works. As in, hey, I'm not assuming this is how it's done. This is what I do for a living. And well, some guy attacked me and told me I didn't know anything and that I was an idiot for making that comment. After going back and forth with the guy trying to explain to him in depth, I realized that I was wasting my time. And that was the main reason I really don't post on people's channels anymore. I mean, when you're so blind that someone is telling you exactly how it is done and, you're, and you refuse to acknowledge and call someone an idiot, I just don't know, ma'am. Yeah, that's the internet. <laughs> yeah, and I, and and I, and boy, did I get a lot of that from my last live stream where people, again, you know, I was so frustrated by Microsoft playing into this idea of full RDNA two, despite them not having Infinity Cache. So, from my perspective, they're lying. Um, you know, again, because full means nothing. Neither of these consoles. I mean, and like, what do you mean full RDNA two? So, wait, do you not want to advertise that patented? variable rate shading thing you're doing or like it's because from my perspective microsoft had a couple custom advantages should i now tell everyone they don't because they're only full rdna2 <laughs> you yeah know, and it's like and they don't have infinity cash so okay and it's just like morons <laughs> from from my experience as a biologist there's a lot of really dumb talks about biology on the internet uh if you show them your degree, like, no, I'm an expert in this, they won't care. They they want to attack you for, I don't know. I, I don't know what you said. And I don't know if that was offensive to the YouTuber for some reason. I don't know why a minor, some error about PCBs would be a big issue, but some people just want to get into arguments. Yeah. And so I don't know. I'm just kind of mentally pre like preparing myself for it because I think the problem with this console launch is that you're going to have a lot of annoying fanboys on both sides claiming absurd things because they're like, because, because right now, look at what can happen. The Xbox Series X was built with backwards compatibility in mind. So you're going to have all of these Xbox fanboys arguing the next gen is whatever because you can load fucking Arkham Knight in 58 seconds instead of a minute five or a minute seven or something, which is not something I would, I would not brag about running a last gen game <laughs> in a minute load times guys what's is that your velocity architecture at work there <laughs> but um oh yeah i saw one comment where he goes it, microsoft obviously has infinity cache that's what they call it with that's what the velocity architecture is isn't the velocity architecture a, a specific well it of... means nothing uh, but apparently dan velocity architecture is infinity cache Oh. But yeah, but then you're going to have Sony people, right? I think like arguing like about all these other features that even aren't on the Xbox. And so I think you're going to have this annoying situation where you're going to have both fanboys arguing different points that makes them. It's not like last gen where one was just stronger and had more games. Like now it's kind of up for debate a little bit. And so it's just, eh, it's going to be an annoying fanboy winter as we discussed in the last die shrink. I mean, yeah, it's going to be people adamant that their console is stronger because they bought it and they are clearly the smartest person. And anyone who didn't make their decision is dumb because they need, I need my purchasing decisions validated for some reason. That's about all I've got to say, Dan. And that's about all we have here. You know, 
Keep in mind, this was recorded before all of the big digital foundry and NX gamer comparison videos between the consoles. So we're just kind of discussing this from the point of view of what we know before the launch. But uh, yeah, there'll be a healthy discussion about them once we know more next week. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for the launches. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, if you enjoy our discussion, you can submit comments, questions, concerns, uh, and read our mail if you support us on Patreon and also get the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, then early ad-free access to uh, Broken Silicon, on Flyover States, and Hits and Gems, and a bunch of other exclusive features. So remember, that's what makes the engine of the Moore's Laws Dead Revolution run. But of course, if you're using the... Stop laughing at me, Dan. I'm getting delirious. But of course, just like Eddie Murphy. But then if you're um, <laughs> making unneeded references and jokes, tells you how tired I am. But, uh, but you know, if you're in the free feeds, please tell your friends about us. We appreciate all of you. We, of course, try to get make sure this gets out on time every week, you know, because we know that a lot of people like to have this while they work or drive or whatever. And so, yeah, thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Bye, everybody. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Laws Dead. Moore's Laws Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yunt, Thomas Rupp. I love you, Lennon, Jim Box, Joshua Avin, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasser, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSPCFS, Chrysantine, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Dieselru, Daniel Hyde, Day Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanjik, Jacob Barber, Exotia, Dr. Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Duck, Street, a Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, 
Sean Grant, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Zedia Tech, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, So Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Gary Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Powers, Sayonora, Elenia, Joshua Stavenis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Terrasteel, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Kyerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Macto226, Saber Z Bird, Zlicky, Mayton Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick JS, Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquim Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Joseph Loria, Call Marco, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Abeneni, Master Andy Rong, Jake Dude 23, Brian Regelman, Maxime Bratukin, Ryan Deniskew, Dave McCoy, Valko Milev, Messiers, Paul Bogdan, Morton Svensson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob Stenkiewicz, Jake Pym, Wagger Khan, JBG, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futo, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Dean Despodovsky, Paul J, My Name Is Nobody, Ruben Marr, Luis Correa, John Jameson, Ashil Dar Epstein, Luca, Anders Barvin, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, Hardforum.com, Susanna Maria, and Stu. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 